Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, May the 16th, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Can we officially establish that last year's magical run by the Atlanta Braves was completely and totally a fluke? No. I mean, fluky things happen. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're sub 500 for half the season, um, you kind of catch lightning in a bottle. You make these free agent moves. Um, every single one of them play as if they were Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio. And uh, you start the next year and you're sub 500 again. Right. Um, you, you, so we're kind of on the same path as we were last year. I except, say we, I mean the Braves. Well, I mean, except the fluke part. Flukes don't tend to repeat themselves. Mm. And um, I mean, I think we're to the point now we really got to put that as part of the equation. Uh, was last year a fluke? Um, this is a, a pretty good baseball team. Last year was a pretty good baseball team. Uh, once again, they got hot at the right time. I was going to say that there are times through the early season, in most years, last year included, where the players that you would expect to be consistently good or great uh, struggle. And right now, that's happening. And maybe, just maybe. Okay, they... Let, let's do this. Okay. When a player struggles more than he performs exceedingly well, what kind of player is he? Well, Freddie Freeman struggled last year, yeah, first for a part bit, of the season. For, for a bit. Right? Um, I mean, the, the record, what, we're 35 games into the season-ish, somewhere thereabouts. Something like that. So we're not nearly a quarter of the way. Not quite a quarter of the way, but we're nearly a quarter of the way. They're three games under 500. Um, their nemesis, the Dodgers, are doing what they always do. They're 10 or 12 games over 500-ish, um, somewhere thereabouts. And the Mets are playing a little better this year than they historically have. Um but, but, I mean, the Dodgers are a dominant baseball team. They're a really good baseball yeah. team. You can't even argue whether they are or not. You could legitimately argue whether last year was a fluke for the Braves or not. At this point, looking at it, I would have to say, and again, at this point, mm-hmm. that if we were to get to the National League Championship Series, that that would be very scary because the, the Dodgers are definitely dominant. But, I mean, they were they were dominant last year. Yeah, they the were. Braves just happened to catch lightning in a bottle and some things go their way. And, uh, you know, five-game series, seven-game series, anything can happen. I'm not saying the Braves are a fluke, but if it continues down this path for another 40 games, I think you've got to you've got to kind of conclude this is a pretty decent baseball team, nowhere near the caliber of the Dodgers, despite winning a world championship. Well, I was going to say, you know what I refer to this pretty decent baseball team as right now. World champions. World champion well, I mean, Atlanta Braves. And and Villanova beat Georgetown. I mean, the cra- uh, BYU won a national championship in football. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, things happen. Uh, when the Braves were really good, and I'm talking about when Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz, I don't remember for about 10 years them being under 500. I mean, I just don't. So somebody help me. I mean, I don't <laughs> know every record. One, one World Series. One World Series. Time. I mean, and that's the, um, I guess, the travesty in the Cox uh, run as manager of the Braves. Uh, but I was thinking about it yesterday when the Braves lost again uh, a series, two of three to the Padres. I was thinking about it during that 14-year run the Braves had with Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz. Now, understand, I could have managed that crowd. I mean, that was <laughs> that was pretty easy. Um, I've got three days covered. Just find me two whatevers, you know, to pitch the fourth and fifth day. Um, but I don't ever remember that team being sub-500 in those 14 years. I mean, I would imagine... There was a point early in the season when they were three and four, you know, or four and five or something. But as the season progressed, they just played 600 baseball, 620 baseball year after year. And that, me, that's the sign of a uh, 
uh, truly complete. And, and you almost could argue that it's fluky that they didn't win more World Series back during that see, run. You see, you've a thunder. Okay. Uh, see, you've already jumped. Did you read my sheet Sorry, here? No, I did okay. not. Okay. Is it a bigger fluke? <laughs> okay. That the Braves won one World Championship during that 14-year run than it is the Braves have won one with a with a pretty good baseball team. I mean, I'm not saying they're not a pretty good baseball team. They're a decent baseball team, but they're by no stretch of the imagination. Today's Dodgers are, you know, the Braves of many, many, many um, years gone by. So, yeah, that was the, um, as we do our, our early morning sports edition, brought to you by Bird of a Thousand Gods, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, the you know, the, the question that I would pose to the two people who are interested in our audience is, um, is it people. a bigger is it a bigger fluke that the Braves didn't win but one, or the Braves have already won one with this um uh, pretty much five hundred baseball team that is what three games under five hundred, right, not quite forty games into the season, and I call forty games kind of the quarter way uh, of those one hundred sixty two. We're give or take a game or two from being a quarter of the way uh, through the season. 843-661-0937. I've got an announcement. I mean, you didn't ask, but I'm going to tell you. Um, uh, I informed our listeners um, last week because we just do things like this over the airwaves that my daughter uh, during the summer has, uh, has garnered a paid internship with Trafalgar. She starts work today with Trafalgar. Um, nothing has gone as planned. She gets a call early Saturday morning. Um, to be ready to fly out of Florence this morning at about 6.30. So she's on her way to Washington to attend meetings today and tomorrow, of which she can't tell me anything about. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's first pretty, day. That's pretty cool. First day on the job. It's pretty cool if you're on her dad. <laughs> I mean, if she's a college freshman and you're a dad, and she's getting on an airplane by herself this morning flying to Washington to meet, um, I think there's some flying from Atlanta, and they're going to meet up in um in Washington, so she'll be there today and tomorrow. I said, what are you doing? What do you mean you're going to Washington? She said, um, Robert just called and said, um, go to the American Airlines app. We're going to need you in Washington. So she's there all day today, uh, and they'll be back home sometime late tomorrow good for night. Her. Cool. Uh, yeah, good for her if it's not your daughter once again. Right. So I've established, um, you know, be aware of your surroundings. I mean, she's gone places before, but with a group of friends. And, um, and obviously, there'll be people she meets when they all get to Washington together. But um, but I'm a bit nervous this morning, uh, and you can understand that. Oh, I mean, if, if I'm boys, I'd say, you know, have at it. I mean, the world's out there waiting on you. But when it's your daughter, there's just something about um, the security component that I that I worry about. But um, she'll be fine. And I, yet, to first day on the job. And I said, well, I mean, Saturday, she gets the word that this is the plan. And I said, honey, I'm going to tell you now, in politics, um, it could change again. I mean, you know, you could end up in wherever. I mean, I don't have any idea. But I said, "What are y'all doing?" She said, "Robert said I couldn't tell anybody." Um, so they're good up, answer. They're they're there for <laughs> meetings. Uh, I do know this: they've got meetings today, late afternoon. They've got a dinner tonight, and they've got several meetings that'll take the balance of the day tomorrow. And um, <laughs> she, she's real not nervous, but she's real excited, anxious, a lot of different other sorts of things. But um, yeah, but that will that that'll be a wonderful experience. Um. I got to pry some information out from her. You know, she may have some top secret information mm-hmm. that would add value to our radio show. So I may, um, I don't know. I, I got to figure that and out. She how, probably, how do you, um, she won't let you know how to she bribe my you. daughter. I mean, historically, she's been the one bribing me, but maybe we return the favor. Uh, 843-661-0937. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. 
That someone is Breeze. Hello, Breeze. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, Breeze. You know, I've, been, I've been thinking and thinking, trying to find the good guys. Like, where's the church at and changing the culture instead of the culture changing the church? You know, why, why, are no, why is no one being held accountable? I saw Joe Biden say that there are a million people that died from COVID. Well, why is it the entire world holding China and the United States of America accountable? We help fund the, the dang old uh, lab that released the virus on the world. And I am certain more than ever that it was released on purpose. So the United States of America and China have the death of a million people on their hands or more. We do. Our government financed this. Why is the world outraged? Why are we not mad? Why is everyone that has caught COVID not mad as hell at our government, mad as hell at China? And then again, where are the politicians that should be apologizing to us right now, Republican and Democrat, they should be on their hands and knees begging us to forgive them for what they've done to us. And we're just, oh, ho oh, 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 oh. The Republicans and Democrat politicians that destroyed this economy, destroyed this country, kept people out of church. If you go through everything that they've done to their, us in the past three years and you're not angry, then, man, you're not alive. And they're here again. You can't even trust the United States government. The Justice Department of the United States is corrupt at the very top of it. There's no way in what that you have any trust whatsoever for the FBI, the Internal Revenue Service. Do you believe they're the good guys? Does anybody believe they're the good guys? I mean, and we're just sitting back there, ho, ho, ho. And I want to know where are our politicians that are telling us that are actually going to do something. Not talk about it, but do something. Yeah, we yeah, we got this election coming up in November, and we're going to vote. Everybody's going to vote for all of these Republicans. But what in the hell are they going to do? Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. Good morning to all. <laughs> there's, there's Breeze getting us <laughs> off our um, uh, kind of uh, out of our sleepwalk as we um, got to head back into a to a new week. Uh, I looked at some polling over the weekend. Uh, we've the, the next nearest election is in Pennsylvania, and I'll get to Breeze's point in just a second. Um, because there have, I mean, are the Republicans going to convince you that, you know, it's, it's our turn now to screw things up because the Democrats have screwed things uh, up even worse than we did, or can the Republicans convince a group of people in America to give us a chance, you know, to, to, to efficiently and effectively govern uh, the nation's affairs. Let's go to, um, hot off the press. This is kind of an interesting poll. Um, Emerson did a poll over the weekend in Pennsylvania. Why is Pennsylvania interesting? It's the next election. It's tomorrow. Um, Dr. Oz, I mean, we said Friday. Imagine five years ago, ah, longer than that. Let's say imagine Trump announces in 2015. So let's say 10 years ago in 2012, um, someone says, hey, I can see a day that former President Donald Trump endorses Dr. Oz as a uh, Republican senator in uh, Pennsylvania. I mean, that would be a movie script. I mean, they <laughs> Nobody you, would believe it. Nobody would believe that. So tw- in 2012, um, somebody says, former President Donald Trump, okay, <laughs> um, put that sauce down, uh, is going to endorse Dr. Oz. Yeah, Dr. Oz is going to be a senator from Pennsylvania. All of this sounds nonsensical, but it's where we are. And Emerson did a um, 
probably the biggest sample. There's been one bigger sample. Trafalgar did one uh, from the 6th of May to the 8th of May uh, with 1,080 likely voters in Pennsylvania. It came up Oz 25, Barnett 23, McCormick 22, uh, the margin of error 2.9. So that's a statistical, uh, statistical dead heat. You go to Fox 29 Insider Advantage poll. There's a Fox affiliate in Philadelphia that is partnered with a, a pollster named Insider Advantage. Uh, they're they're pretty they're pretty good. I mean, they, you know, at, at Republican primaries, they do a pretty decent job. They did this a couple of days after Trafalgar did it. Uh, five seven to five nine seven hundred and fifty likely voters. They had Oz at twenty three, Barnett twenty one, McCormick at uh, at nineteen. But this weekend, Emerson did a poll. Um, 514 and 515, which was Saturday and Sunday, 1,000 likely voters, um, Oz at 32, Barnett at 27, McCormick at 26, margin of error 3, uh, 3.0. That has Oz plus 5. The RCP average has Oz plus 3.0. The reason the poll this weekend is a little bit telling to me is because in one week, Oz went from 23 to 32, Barnett went from 21 to 27, and McCormick went from 19 to 26. So the undecided is beginning to break. And it seems to me, Reb, that they're breaking about equally between Oz, Barnett, and McCormick. Because once again, uh, McCormick's up seven from a week. Um, Barnett's up six from a week. And Oz is up nine from a week. So all of, all the undecideds, um, you start putting this together, there's only about 8% undecideds. Now, now the 8% undecideds, is enough to make up the margin of error, 3.0%. But but what I'm reading here, it looks to me like the undecided, they're not breaking to one candidate or another. They're almost equally breaking for Oz, Barnett, and uh, McCormick. And obviously, there's been a bit of a campaign against Barnett coming out of people like Sean Hannity. There, there has been. And I mean, I think Hannity and Trump are behind, you know, running against Barnett. Um, she's a, uh, you know, well, I mean, we've heard uh, Biden recently and some of the Democrats the MAGA king, the ultra MAGA, the extreme uh, MAGA, that's got to come from polling. I mean, there's been some polling done on the Democrat side that um, America first polls exceedingly well with independent voters. MAGA is a little bit alarming to independent voters. When independent voters hear America first, uh, what do I sign? I want to be a part of that team. When they hear um, MAGA, they're like, whoa, whoa, let, let's slow down a bit now. I want to know more about this MAGA um, you know, MAGA King, Ultra MAGA Extreme MAGA. I would imagine today when the president goes to Buffalo, uh, he and the first lady are making their way to the Buffalo, had the horrific shooting over the weekend, um, a white supremacist. And I think we can easily say that. There's a manifesto out where um, he basically credits some of the, uh, he's got anti-Semitic uh, feelings. He's got anti-African-American sentiments. Um, he's a mentally deranged 18-year-old. That's what he is. He's a mentally deranged 18-year-old. I think he was on the um, the radar of law enforcement in that area. In typical fashion, nothing's done. And I don't know what you can do for somebody who just says and expresses themselves in a way that causes concern. Um, we, we kind of advocate for the First Amendment, don't we? That a person has a right to say a certain things a certain way at certain times. But I think it's pretty obvious that this guy is a racist. Uh, he... Uh, targeted African-Americans and Jewish um, people. He has said things publicly and in this manifesto um, that I've not read every word of, but I kind of skimmed across it this morning. But uh, I mean, he's just say he's a sick human being 
who believed it was okay to walk into a supermarket in Buffalo, New York, and and mow down African Americans and Jewish, um, uh, I guess customers of uh, the uh, the supermarket. And I mean, I think we can, you know, this is it's it's going to happen. And and let's go there now. I mean, I, Joe Lockhart of CNN and former communications director for um for the Clinton administration. Uh, basically said, and here's his tweet at 6.18 on Saturday, 6.18 p.m. on Saturday, Joe Lockhart says, more blood on the hands of that Tucker Carlson and at Fox News. This killer used their racist talking points to justify killing 10 people. Carlson won't stop because, as he explained to the New York Times, it's good for ratings, lives be damned, as Carlson will be at Judgment Day. Shame on you, Joe Lockhart. I mean, that's an embarrassment to anybody who considers themselves part of the communicating uh, industry, uh, and then people took him on. They came back after him uh, defending some of what um, Tucker says and I guess the opinions given on his on his show. Um, Dan Moynihan is a Georgetown professor, and he basically tweeted um, similar sentiments. The, this gunman who killed at least 10 people in Buffalo is a self-described uh, white supremacist who advocates for the great replacement theory. He left a manifesto. Um, see if you can tell the difference between it and the standard fare on the Tucker Carlson show. Uh, not to be outdone, Lincoln Project's Rick Wilson. Remember, he of uh, conservative fame. Oh. He's a former uh, Republican consultant. Yeah. Um, he tweeted out, the Buffalo Killers Manifesto reads like a job application for a junior producer on Tucker Carlson, and no, I'm not being flippant. So you got a Georgetown professor, you've got a CNN personality and former communications director for the Clinton administration, and then you've got Rick Wilson, who's never been... A Republican. He's never been a conservative. He was a Republican. He's never been a conservative. He's so deeply offended by the energy within America First because it cuts out on his livelihood. I mean, you can't fleece the government if somebody's there representing the interests of the average American. So, um, in typical fashion, you've got people looking for someone to blame uh, and looking at Fox News and Tucker Carlson because that's who you marginalize when these sorts of things happen. It's a tragedy. It's horrific. Uh, my heart breaks. Uh, my prayers go out to uh, anybody involved in the affairs of, um, of Buffalo Saturday. It's just it's heartbreaking to know these sorts of things happen um, as frequently as they do. And it is fairly frequently when we have these things. But, um, you know, we had Kenosha. We had uh, the parade where the African-American. It's just kind of so interesting to me how the media takes different strategies when it comes to these stories. Um some of the stories seem to be just swept under the rug. Well, I mean, of course they are, because it doesn't fit the predetermined narrative. Now, but the narrative is, you know, Trump is led, and Tucker Carlson is led, and, you know, J.D. Vance is a part of, and Peter Thiel is funded, uh, the, the, these racist MAGA. And that's why they're using the word MAGA. There's some polling out there that shows that, that MAGA is perceived to be more racist amongst independent voters than America First. When the Republicans say we're America firsters, um, a lot of independent voters, I'm not talking about in the trench Republicans or in the trench Democrats, but a lot of the independents who are watching Seinfeld, they say, hey, man, that MAGA crowd's a little extreme. They're a little bit different. I mean, it's the same crowd. MAGA is the exact same crowd as America first. That There's just a way that the media tries to cook up a narrative, and, and I think the Biden administration now believes that it's much more um, – they're much more advantageous to label us. I mean, I'm one. Uh, call me what you'd like. I'm MAGA and America first. I don't deny nor shy away 
from any of those um, representations of where my political leanings are today. Um, but in typical fashion, there are people out there who try to gain politically when one of these situations happen. And that's what Lockhart's doing. Uh, that's what this Georgetown professor is doing. Uh, Dan Moynihan. Uh, yeah. I mean, you would expect that from Georgetown. Um, and that's what Rick Wilson of the Lincoln Project is doing. This is all about Tucker Carlson. No, this is really, I mean, if you want to talk about the the political story here, it's mental illness. I mean, it really is. We've got to uh, commit more of our resources to the realities of mental illness. Um, we don't do much of that anymore. We, we've kind of stigmatized, you know, depression and anxiety and some of these, um, so some of these deep, deep, deep issues that certain people go through and experience. Um, but none of this is to, it's all horrific. It's all tragic. It was racially motivated, but Tucker didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm tired of on every time one of these events happen, the left tries to demonize some part of the political right. Uh, and now it's Tucker Carlson for the great replacement theory. Let's take a break. First break on a Monday morning. Got a call. We'll get there as soon as we get back on the other side. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Here is LW, Calhoun County, listening to WTQS this morning. Hello, LW. Good morning, guys. Uh, good morning, Ken. Good morning. Uh, Ken, you know, I, back in the nine, er, late eighties and early nineties, I bought a couple of bodies from double A and I met you, met your dad, kind of, he gave me a tour all around Pamplico. And, uh, but anyway, uh, to get to the point of reason I call my wife had, uh, 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 a message shared with her from, it was a podcast from Steve Bannon and Michelle Bachman was doing the speaking, speaking, and they were talking about, uh, WHO convention that's coming up here this month, you know, like 22nd through 28th. And uh, they were saying that, uh, you know, some backdoor, uh, I guess you call them amendments, had been put in and um, the uh, uh, they were going to take a vote. And that if this vote passed, then they would expect 99% of the world's uh, countries to abide by these WHO rules. And this is the first I ever heard anything like this. And I was wondering if you'd heard anything and maybe you could, you know, is it true? Is it real or, or what's happening? Do you, do you have any idea on that? Yes, sir. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Here's the deal. And uh, we touched on it last week, but I'm not, uh, I'm not, a, I don't know that I'm as prepared to be specific as I need to be. There, there's an effort in Washington. Thank you for the call. That There's an effort in Washington that is, and it's really kind of a, um, it's, we talk about liberals and conservatives and Republicans and Democrats, but we've had multiple conversations about globalist and nationalist. And the globalist in Washington, that is the predominant force. I mean, today, if you asked me, are there more nationalist or globalist in Washington? I mean, if you got to fall in one category or the other, some would say, I'm not, I'm neither. You know, I'm, I'm a real world um, uh, practical man, and, and I'm a little bit of a globalist and a little bit of a, of a nationalist. I understand America's interest has to be uh, take precedent over the globe or the, the, the international interest, um, but, but I think you've got to be one or the other. And, and I think in America today or in American politics today, there's more, um, more of a sentiment to uh, be a part of this global economy. This I, I'd freak you out and say a new world order. I mean, that's kind of where a lot of this goes, but um. But yeah, th there's an effort with the Biden administration to try and 
basically replace some American authority with international authorities. In other words, instead of the CDC writing the majority of um, COVID restriction responses, it would be globally. It would be internationalist. It would be, you know, the WHO, the World Health Organization, uh, talking about fertilizer and food. Um, instead of, let's say, instead of DHEC and the EPA regulating uh, some of what can be in a fertilizer or not be in a fertilizer, and I'm talking about federal and state, um, you know, governance, it would be the World Health Organization. They would... Um, they would basically hold all the cards and what is legal and what, what works in Finland is going to be the same, the same sort of rules that apply in Finland and, 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 and France and Germany are going to apply in America. And it really comes down to this internationalist um, tent. Uh, we, we have a lot of people in our nation's capital who believe that this country's future is better if it's linked to this international global economy. I don't buy that. I mean, I, you know, I've made it crystal clear that I'm not a globalist. I'm an anti-globalist, as a matter of fact. I'm not, a, I'm not against trade. I mean, I'm for free trade. I'm for, you know, visiting Europe. I'm for, you know, having allies, and I'm for supporting allies. But I think we've got to reposition our foreign policy and domestic policy, for that matter, that, that basically advantages the American people. There is no shame in that. It's the J.D. Vance, Peter Thiel mindset. It's the Blake Masters mindset. If you look at Masters, Thiel, and Vance, they have probably been the three loudest voices of, uh, you know, anti-globalism. Now, they don't come out and call themselves anti-globalist. They say, you know, these things we've done with China, these things we've done with the European Union and NATO. But but to LW's point, and I'm, and I'm giving a long answer because I've got four hours, but but to the point of um, is there is there something going in, on in Washington today that is going to lessen the control of some of the um, some of the national governing agencies and farm that out? To the World Health Organization, yes, I mean that that is absolutely something that is being further explored. Um, these international companies. I mean, look at Monsanto. I mean, I, I read something last week about Monsanto. Monsanto predicts that a a certain percentage, just a higher than you would expect percentage of their revenue is going to be derived from places other than America. So if that's the case, and Monsanto doesn't have to deal with a CDC here. And whatever the health organization in France is, and I mean, it's kind of a corporatist agenda, and corporations find it um, better and more profitable if they've streamlined and and basically streamlined would not be the right word if they've um if they made the codes and regulations more uniform, so they're going to farm out a lot of this to the World Health Organization, and um, I'll try to do a little further dig. I mean, I've read some things about it, but I don't know that I am as familiar with this as I need to be to give some sort of opinion on, hey, I think we need to be careful here. I think we need to be careful there. Um, and, and, and Bannon's, you know, Bannon's a bit provocative, but Bannon's a smart man, a very, very, very bright man. Um, he's got this disheveled look about him, and he kind of a rogue and a cowboy and a misfit and an outcast. Uh, but Steve Bannon is a very, very bright man. And he has one of the best quotes from 2016. Well, probably the best. I mean, if you think they're going to give you your country back uh, this easily, you've got another thing coming. In other words, when Trump wins the election in 16 and everybody was euphoric about, you know, the victory of Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton, I mean, Bannon gave warnings and said, look, if you think these people, the globalist, you know, the internationalist, uh, the insiders, the establishment, the status quo, I mean, if you think these people are going to roll over and just give you your country back because, you know, 60 some odd million of you decided to vote for a reality TV star instead of an all-star lineup of Republicans 
And then Hillary Clinton, you've got another thing yeah, coming. Who, who, knew, who knew how right he was? Well, it was very prophetic. And how the, the swamp would fight back. And it has fought back. And I mean, part of the swamp fighting back is this that LW's talking about. Some of the um, some of the farming out of, of regulatory, you know, what are, what are going to be the regulations of fertilizer manufacturing and fertilizer consumption and food manufacturing and food consumption? Um, and you can be a bit goofy if you go too far down this road. But I don't think it's goofy at all. I think there's a mindset in Washington that that would place us, uh, it would forsake a lot of superiority we have in the name of being a good global citizen. I mean, it really is. I mean, there's a mindset of amongst, uh, I don't know, Rev, maybe half, maybe a little better than half of all the political leadership in Washington that ascribe to this notion that, that America's biggest responsibility its biggest obligation is to the world. It's not to the American people. And um, and I think when you start, you know, you've got a CDC on this side and you've got the uh, the world, uh, WHO, World Health Organization, on the other side, and you say, hey, instead of regulating this pharmaceutical plant um, with CDC guidelines and regulations, let's let the World Health Organization uh, and, and what they're anticipating or what they're anticipating and, and uh, I guess, ambition of is – all of these drug and pharmaceutical plants and fertilizer companies and, and food manufacturers, wherever the wherever the, the WHO has oversight, they will amplify that oversight and uh, the the nation's regulatory agencies will be subservient to the international code. And uh, the international code will carry the day. And corporate America kind of likes that because once again, if you build a fertilizer plant in Ireland, and you build one in America, you can build them the same way because the WHO is who you answer to. Um, same thing with food production. Uh, you know, if you're going to be able to build a, um, let's just hypothetically say that Tyson builds a chicken processing plant in Ireland and, uh, and another one in France and one in Canada and one in America, um, the WHO will set the guidelines and, and the parameters. I just don't want anybody um, in Ireland or in Europe deciding what a, a food processing plant or a fertilizer manufacturer has to do in, you know, Hoboken or right. or Florence, South Carolina, or Sumter, South Carolina, or Orangeburg, uh, for that matter. But, yeah, th- there's a heavy, heavy influence in Washington today that, um, that is trying to steer a lot of our uh, regulatory authorities to a globalist. I mean, it's kind of the Davos man. Uh, I keep going back to that Davos man. But, guy, this is a, a very real and relevant um, issue in American uh, politics today. The CB, I want to go to NBC Evening News. So the NBC News poll that had um, 75% wrong track. I don't know if you saw that or not. Chuck Todd on Meet the Press yesterday uh, talked about the right track, wrong track number. The NBC poll has the wrong track number at 75%. And, um, and this really is what I was, we talked a second ago about, you know, can the Republicans win? in 2022 and 24 for that matter because biden sucks yeah i mean they can and probably will but but is that enough or is it better and and this is what i'm looking for uh can we explain or articulate why biden and the democrats have been an enormous failure i mean that that's how you sustain a political movement um it's a little bit like the braves let's take the braves for an example the Braves aren't playing any better next weekend. They just happen to play lousy teams. 
and you you tend to beat lousy teams more than you beat the Dodgers. You know, when when the, when the Braves had a last year when they got on that run, they they were I don't know, Rev, ten or twelve days where they played like the Dodgers, and then the uh, I mean, two or three other good teams might have been the Yankees. I think the Yankees were in the middle of that that run they had, and um, and they kind of held their own. Well, I mean, is it good enough? Use that analogy. Is it good enough for the for the for the Republicans to win simply because are we better off as Americans if the Republicans win simply because the Democrats suck? Seventy five percent wrong track. So, so when, when the country's heading in a wrong direction or 75% of its citizens believe it's heading in a wrong direction, we're more inclined to vote for the other party. But can the Republicans explain why Biden and the Democrats are a failure? That's what I'm waiting on. Who can explain? And, and I'm not talking about, you know, uh, Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity or the late Rush Limbaugh. I mean, that's our job to communicate. I mean, we speak to you every single day for three hours or, or four hours in this instance can somebody, you know, with an R beside their name, who the public put in place, and by that I mean win an election, can they articulate and explain why these people are failures in trying to manage the nation's affairs? I think that is critical. I think that's an essential component of how this America First movement really continues to prosper. Um, I don't know, Rev, as we head closer to the midterms and then the eventual 2024 presidency i did see something over the weekend about uh, i saw a, a, a set of i went a poll it's just kind of a uh it's not a poll it's it's, it's a computer generated statistical analysis of the number of um hits that ron DeSantis had on social media as opposed to donald trump but i mean it's unfair to compare DeSantis and trump because trump's not out there you know he's on truth what is it? Truth media, truth, truth, social, truth, social, but he's not on Twitter. He's not on Facebook. He's been outlawed or banned. And he's not from in each office. of those. And he's not in office. Um, but DeSantis had far outpaced Trump in, I guess, a, a relevancy quota, you know, one versus versus the other. Eight, four, three, six, six, one, oh, nine, three, seven. Don't want to get too far behind here. Mike, we'll take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. I don't know how seventy five percent of Americans believe the country's heading in the wrong direction, and President Biden's approval ratings are still about forty percent. Uh, unless you think the country's heading in the wrong direction, but it's none of it, or, or a lot of it's not his fault or his doings. I want to, in the next hour, kind of go behind the scenes some conversations I had uh, with people associated or affiliated with the campaigns of um, Ken Richardson. Uh, Russell Fry and Tom Rice in particular. Didn't talk to anybody from the Arthur Barton uh, texting Saturday afternoon. Um, now, now, late Saturday afternoon, my texts get a little distorted. <laughs> what <are> you? <laughs> I'm sure they do. Because I tend uh during the summer months, and it's almost summer, and it was... <laughs> Can I finish? Yes. Sorry. I was thinking about a text I, I sent you later Saturday afternoon. What is the... Oh yeah, okay. With that, with the story. that was a bad time to send me that text because I'd um I had a few under my belt. By, I, by I the thought, end. I thought so. <laughs> Late based Saturday on, based afternoon. on your uh, terse response, I, I'm sorry, Baptist. I'm sorry. I mean, Saturday afternoon on the beach, uh, I tend to uh, just immerse myself in uh, in nature. I get on that beach, and uh, you know, somebody, Understandable, somebody told the ocean you can only come this far. I began to to ponder and yearn and contemplate uh, worldly affairs. 
um, both close and not so close. And then um, one leads to two and two to three and three to four. And next thing you know, my wife is saying, are you ever coming off the beach? I mean, are you coming back? You know, because we had some plans late that afternoon or that evening. But um, yeah, I, I began texting. I, I didn't initiate the text. Um, but somebody did from one of the campaigns, and I responded, and then another, and another, and another, and next thing you know, we're in this um, we're we're, we're mired in this text conversation about the seventh congressional district, and I tend to do my best political thinking on the beach late Saturday afternoon. I've after I've been a bit liberated from from the uh, the nuances of the real world. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, I want to elaborate on some of the um. Th- there's one campaign in particular that just refuses to buy my analysis. They just don't buy it for a second, and we'll find out. You know, we'll find out in, what, a little better than four weeks who's who's right and who's wrong, but they just absolutely refuse to accept um, what I believe to be the ceiling for somebody who crosses swords with Trump and what I believe to be the floor for someone who has a Trump endorsement, and we'll kind of walk through that reality in our next hour because we're what four weeks and a day we're a day away from the pennsylvania election that involves a trump endorsed candidate i think we're four weeks away from a seventh congressional republican primary that features someone who crossed swords with trump and someone who's been endorsed by president trump let's kind of go through those numbers on the other side uh, in the second hour takes mondays to make fridays we'll be back in just a few moments so what are you a MAGA king, ultra MAGA, extreme MAGA. Rest assured, when President Biden goes to Buffalo today to pay his respects to the to the families of the 10 people who horrifically lost their lives over the weekend, and it was a hate crime, it was racially motivated, and there was some, uh, there are some deeply concerning realities of this. But Biden is not going there to condone families. Biden's going there to score political points. So it'll be words like MAGA King, Ultra MAGA, Extreme MAGA, uh, as Joe Lockhart. Uh, despicable. I mean, really and truly despicable what Joe Lockhart put on um, Twitter. Um, despicable, disgusting. Uh, a Democratic operative, worked for the Clintons, uh, now is a frequent guest on CNN, uh, tweeted at 618 Saturday night, uh, more blood on the hands of at Tucker Carlson and at Fox News as killer use their racist talking points to justify killing 10 people. Tucker didn't make anybody racist. I mean, there are racist people who are liberal. There are racist people who are conservative. There are racist people who are black. There are racist people who are white. There are racist people who are men. There are racist people who are women. There are racist people who live in the country. There are racist people who live in the city. There are racist people who pull for the Gamecocks. And there are racist people who pull for the Tigers. Being an America firster, being a Trump supporter, does not make it more or less likely that you are a racist individual. This person will be dealt with accordingly, and our hearts and prayers, our hearts break and our prayers go out to the families who have been impacted by this horrific attack of innocent life in Buffalo. I mean, that's the story here. It's not a Republican or a Democrat or a, a, a MAGA or a, um, I mean, there, there's none of that. I mean, the, the reality is racism has always been in America. Racism will always be in America. There will always be racist. And at times, racists who have mental issues will prey upon, um, I guess, their weaknesses and ours. And we'll have these um, horrific events happen in, uh, in our country. We live in a very free country. 
we have a Second Amendment. People deserve the right to, to keep and bear arms. And we're never going to stop people who don't need to have guns from having guns. We're just not. I mean, criminals get guns. Uh, mentally ill people get guns. Um, I think we've got a lot of uh, safety measures in place to make sure this doesn't happen. Um, but we're not going to ever live in utopia. We're just not. I mean, there, there's no such thing as heaven on earth. The, these things are going to happen. And when they do, um, we should pray for the victims. We should pray for their families. We should care deeply about how to stop it from happening again. But, but the realities are this has happened since the beginning of our country, and it'll probably happen uh, until, we, um, until we cease being who we are. And Joe Lockhart is simply trying to score political points. Uh, the professor at Georgetown is trying to score political points. Rick Wilson is trying to score political points. And, and it's polling. I mean, they've done this polling, Reb. And but do you think it's really political that the president goes to, uh, where is he going, Brooklyn, but he didn't go to Waukesha, Wisconsin? Well, it didn't fit the narrative. Or he's going to Buffalo. He didn't go to Brooklyn. He didn't go to Brooklyn, didn't go to, didn't go to Wachasaw, uh, Wachasaw, right. didn't go to, um, well, I mean, there's several examples. That's what I'm saying. I mean, the, the guy that drove his car and killed white people in a parade in Wisconsin is as racist as this person who killed innocent people in Buffalo. But but the president doesn't, you know, he doesn't see it that way because it doesn't fit he and Joe Lockhart, uh, Joe Lockhart and academia's, um, you know, I got a theory on the president's approval ratings being 39%. I mean, 75% of Americans believe we're on the wrong track, but 39% of Americans still you know, approve of the job Joe Biden's doing. Um, I don't know how those aren't mutually exclusive of one another. I didn't realize there were that many academics. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking about it. Is 39% of America a teacher or some sort of academic? Because uh, when you look at some of the segregation of votes, and by that I mean uh, the percentage of workers, the percentage of uh, um, uh, percentage of law enforcement, percentage of military, we always we silo ourselves, and um, and you know academia votes overwhelmingly for the Democrats. And I was kind of taking a shot at academia when I said if his approval ratings are thirty nine percent, that means every single academic in America, uh, public school teachers. Uh, college professors, uh, administrators within school districts, they tend to not be so complimentary and sympathetic uh, to the Republicans. But uh, Lockhart is, but that's disgusting. The events of Buffalo are disgusting. And it does appear today that they were very racially motivated. But the president is going to Buffalo today not to try and bring a country together. He will say things, rest assured, like, like gun control. I'm going to be about gun control and MAGA. I mean, that'll be the majority. And I want to go back to MAGA for a second because the polling shows that independents are not turned off nor bothered by America first. The independent voters, the people watching Seinfeld, are a little bit concerned when they hear MAGA. I mean, the, the left has been successful in ba- basically identifying uh, the MAGA voter as somebody you better keep your eye on. So that's why we're I mean, here they, in the ultra MAGA. Sure, the I mean, MAGA they, they polled it. You, you better believe it. I mean, okay. the Democrats have polled this and polled it and polled it. The Republicans are saying America first, and it tends to work. I mean, independents say, well, who wouldn't want to put America first? And then the the Democrats polled MAGA, and they found that MAGA has this negative connotation, and out of that comes um, MAGA King and ultra MAGA and extreme MAGA. This is the guy that's going to bring the country together, right? 
I mean, this is, we got to reconcile. I mean, we got to, yeah, you know, one side can't despise the other side. We got to bring America uh, together again. And Trump was a divisive figure. Remember what I told you last week about um, kind of, kind of these words mean different things in politics. Divisive figure means you're raising awareness and highly effective. So Trump was not a divisive figure. He was raising, well, it maybe he was, but he was raising awareness and he was highly, highly effective. I want to go back to the, um, to the, I told you I was texting Saturday with yeah, people hear this. In, in the campaign of, um, I'll call the name, um, Ross Fry and Richardson. I and mean, I'm texting with people associated. I'm not texting with Ken, Tom, nor Russell. I'm texting with people who are associated, not loosely, closely affiliated with the campaigns. And we're talking about, you know, where is this race and what do we perceive this race to be? And, um, you know, all of those and they have opinions and, you know, I'll, I'll keep those opinions in confidence, but they, they would all ask me, so you really believe this? And I said, yeah, I think ultimately they, they want to take the temperature of the audience of this show. I mean, that ultimately you're kind of a conduit for that to, to get a feeling where, where our audience is, right? But it's, but yeah, but, but is our audience uniquely different than all audiences across the country? And that's the point I tried to make. Uh, they would talk about a straw poll or they would talk about a random sampling or they talk about a, um, an Horry County Republican Party function, and um, Barbara Arthur won this, and Ken Richardson won that, and and Russell Fry didn't get the endorsement of, and Tom Rice didn't get the endorsement. I get all that, and it's noise. I mean, it is. It's noise, and it matters to some degree, but here's what the data shows me, and it's as simple as this. The data shows me that if you cross Donald Trump, you don't get north of 35 or 6. If you get the Trump endorsement, you don't get south of 35 or 36. That's the floor and the ceiling as far as I see it. Now, could something uniquely, uh, uniquely different happen in the 7th Congressional District? Of course it could. I mean, you know, no, nothing is the same everywhere. I mean, there's always exceptions and outliers. But it seems to me, today as we sit, that if you get the endorsement of Donald Trump in a Republican primary you can book 33, 34, 35%. You're going to get that. I don't care if you spell your name. What is your name? I don't know. What are you staying for? I don't know. What are you doing here? Donald Trump endorsed me. And the cash register rings at about 33%. Um, what is your name? Uh, my name is such and such. What do you do? Mine, you know, and you're impressive. Um, did you vote to establish a January 6th commission? I did. Did you vote to impeach Donald Trump? I did. Then that number seems to me to be about 35. That's what I'm looking at in the data. Once again, Myrtle Beach, Horry County, Florence County, uh, 7th Congressional District, it could be different. It could break the rules. But it seems to me from the um, the seven or eight races that we've had thus far, oh, let's do this. Um, what is Oz's number today? I mean, the latest, the latest poll was Saturday and Sunday. You know what his number is today? 32%. Dr. Oz has 33% of the Republican primary voters in Pennsylvania. Who believes that Dr. Oz is a conservative? Who believes that Dr. Oz is a constitutionalist? So, so what do you attribute that 32 number to? I'll tell you what you attribute it to. Donald Trump endorsed. And that number goes to about 32 or 3 like that. Um, I think if Donald Trump endorsed Scooby-Doo, 
he would get 32 or 33 or 34 percent. And here's the reality, Rev, and here's why I, I still see this race. And I said it last week, and I'll say it again. Um, I don't know how you cross swords with Trump and get into the 40s because nobody's done it yet. Nobody's done that yet. Um, now, now, some don't really cross swords with Trump. They, they just find him. They, they try to trade about Lindsey Graham. I mean, Lindsey's played the balancing act with Trump. Uh, I like Trump today. Don't like him tomorrow. I'll like him again Wednesday. I won't like him Thursday. So, and, and Lindsey's doing, I mean, that's complicated. That's very, very, very difficult to do. But Lindsey didn't cross swords with Trump. I mean, he's had his, his dust-ups, but they've had their confrontations. They've had their disagreements, but they've never been completely and totally at odds of one another. It's a little bit like family. Lindsey and Trump are a little bit like family. You're mad with your sister today. I don't want to talk to her this week. You know, but if something happens to your sister, the, the week you're not going to talk to your sister because you're mad with her, you find out she gets in a wreck. Who's the first person there? You are. Lindsey and Trump have kind of, sort of, created this weird friendship, um, political relationship that, that I think has served Lindsey pretty well. Um, does Lindsey like Trump on some things? Does Lindsey not like Trump on other things? Um, but Lindsey's never crossed swords with Trump. The 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 uh, Ma- Macintosh in um in West Virginia. I mean, he voted to establish the January sixth commission. His ceiling to me was about thirty two or three or four percent. He gets thirty four percent of the vote. the The person who got the endorsement of Trump gets north of fifty percent. Oz gets thirty two percent. Vance gets thirty three percent or thirty two point some odd percent in crowded fields. All of these are very very crowded fields. 80% of the Republican primary vote in Ohio went to a, a candidate they saw as supportive of President Trump's agenda. Let's do this. Um, Barnett and Oz are at uh, about 60%. And nobody's confusing McCormick as a Trump candidate. Where, where's McCormick today? He's at 26%. McCormick may get to 32, 33, 34%. I don't know how you get higher than that. McCormick hadn't crossed swords with Trump, but he worked for Bush. He worked at Goldman Sachs. Do you really believe that's the America First candidate? So it's almost like Trump's worth 33%, and the America First gets you from 33 to whatever you need to win the election. Um, Liz Cheney's election will be very interesting to me. She's at about 30%. How does Cheney get to, to 40%? I don't think she can. I mean, I, I don't see any way... You cross swords with Trump and get to 40%. And that's what I was debating over the weekend with these people associated with the campaigns because they've got polling, they've got um, straw polls, they've got, you know, endorsements, they've got all of these other. And, and I'm sitting there after a few libations, and I'm not trying to be disagreeable. I said, I hear you. I mean, I hear everything you're saying. I believe you got the endorsement of the South Strand Republican Party. I believe you got the endorsement of the North Strand Republican Party. I believe that the Conway GOP finds you to be the most appropriate candidate. I'm not disputing any of that. I believe you won five straw polls in seven days. I mean, one said we won, we won five straw polls in seven days. I don't dispute that. I don't think you're lying to me, making up those sorts of um. Of, of, of bits of information. I'm just telling you what I see as I look at the macro. And in the macro, I don't know how you cross Trump and get to 40, and I don't know how you get the Trump endorsement and, and have less than 35. It seems to me that 35 is kind of that magic number. Is Trump on your team? Yep. Well, I, I put you down for 35. Did you cross swords with Trump? 
Ah, uh, yep. I don't know how you get to 40. I just don't. And once again, these candidates, oh, excuse me, these um, these associates of the campaigns are arguing, yeah, that happened in Wyoming, or yeah, the, the poll says that in Ohio, or the poll said that in Ohio, and yeah, this could happen in Pennsylvania, but we're different. And maybe you are. Maybe there's something unique about this congressional district. Pennsylvania is tomorrow, so we, we shall see, I guess, if, well, I mean, if it holds true you, through another primary Rev, do, do you? Let me ask you a question. Do you think Dr. Oz is conservative? Well, you really don't know, but no. Okay, but but he's, he's leading a, a Pennsylvania Republican primary. Why? I mean, he's been on television 18 years. He's got name recognition. He's got name ID. he has the Trump endorsement. He's got the Trump endorsement. And he's at about 32% in the weekend's poll. Uh, Barnett at 27, McCormick at 26. Now, the surprise could be McCormick. I mean, I think McCormick could get close to 40. Um, if McCormick gets 37 or 80, he wins, but he still doesn't get to 40. He still doesn't get to 40%. And and once again, McCormick would be the the anti-Trump vote. Now, he's played it coy, and he's not said, hey, you know, if you hate Trump, vote for me. I mean, he's, he's not going to do that, but I, I just don't know how you get there from uh, – and, and once again, those two camps are, are easily definable for me. And, and the people associated with the campaigns were like, no, 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 you don't understand. This district and this precinct and that precinct – I know, but but I understand numbers, and I understand math, and I understand the macros of politics, and I understand there's certain tried and truisms. As uh, you know, we we don't have a we don't have a plethora of data, but we've got pretty decent data now. Uh, we got about seven races that were contested races. You got Bud's polling. Uh, you got McCrory's numbers in Ohio. Uh, McCrory can't get out of the 30s. And, and he's the guy that, you know, is, is um, running as a Bush Republican or a uh, traditional status quo uh, establishment Republican. And it seems to me he's going to end up at about 32 or 33 percent. And I just think that's going to be across the board. Blake Masters in Arizona is beginning to move a bit. Um, he was at about 9, 10 or 11. Uh, he still doesn't have the Trump endorsement, but I made a prediction last week and I'll stick to it. If Masters gets the Trump endorsement, and I predict he will, he'll probably win the Arizona primary um, and take on uh, astronaut Kelly in the general, and we'll see how that works out. But but the Biden administration is trying to label J.D. Vance and Dr. Oz and Blake Masters and some of these other, uh, I guess, Russell Fry would fall into that, you know, the, um, the MAGA extremist. Ultra MAGA, the MAGA King. And the only reason they're using the word MAGA is because the Republicans are using the word America First. And America First is not offensive to Republican, excuse me, to independent minded voters. But MAGA seems to be a little more cutting edge and a little more turning off to those who don't um, keep up with politics like we do. Instead, watch Seinfeld. 843 661 is our number. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Yeah, in the Senate seat, Pennsylvania, Oz 32, Barnett 27, McCormick 26, Sands and Bardos. Um, and I think over the weekend, Trump endorsed Mastriano for governor in the Republican primary. He's at 34%. There's just a kind of consistent theme here. I mean, it's every everywhere you look, a Trump endorsed candidate has about 34, 35% of the vote. Uh, the person who crossed swords with Trump is not dead in the water, 
but but once and I think Liz Cheney can win because that's a plurality state. Thirty two or three or four could win there. Um, Vance wins Ohio with thirty two. It's not a runoff state. Pennsylvania, not a runoff state. Uh, McCormick could get 33 or 4 or 5 and win. But in a state where you have a runoff, how do you go from 33, 4, 5 all the way to 50 if, when you cross swords with Trump? Now, now, here's an interesting part about the 7th Congressional District. We don't have a precedent to this. I mean, we don't have where you go back for the second round. Uh, in other words, the runoff. How, what kind of turnout do you have on a, uh, on a runoff? The, um, the open primary. You know, the fact that Democrats can cross over and vote in the Republican primary in the 7th Congressional District. But but this will be the race as we get closer. I mean, the national media is not paying much attention now because uh, it's five weeks or it's four weeks off. But this will be a race that is begin uh, as we get a couple of weeks down the road. The, the Ohio race is done. Uh, the Pennsylvania race will be done. Uh, the West Virginia congressional race. And I still think that is the most similar to the 7th Congressional District, because once again, um, West Virginia is a little bit like the 7th Congressional District. Uh, we shall see how that works itself out. 843-661-0937 is our number. A um, couple of stories percolating out there, uh, but something we know, uh, something we touched on Friday that I think was very interesting, and I think the hour of radio we did Friday morning with uh, Senator Mike Rickenbaugh and Representative Philip Lowe was probably one of the better hours we've done in quite a while. Now, that ain't saying much <laughs> when you compare to what we normally do well, here. Well, I was going to give you some kudos because your idea to bring a delegation member in on Fridays in that 8 o'clock hour has really turned out well. And I'm glad we're getting participation. I'm glad Senator Rickenbaugh and Representative Lowe came by and Representative Jordan comes by, and I'd like to have more uh, representatives and senators and uh Elected officials feel welcome to come by, but but I think it was a very substantive and informative discussion that I really enjoyed, and I, and I really think there's an important issue at hand with the, with the magistrate issue. You know, and one of the things that we get some credit for, and, and we'll take some credit here, is the school referendum. You know, us being intimately involved in the school referendum. Now, did we move the needle? Did we uh, stop the referendum from passing? I don't take that much credit, but we were instrumental in engaging our listenership and letting them know what was going on and for them to make their own determination. But I think to engage our listeners on this issue of magistrates is something equally important. And, um, and it sounded to me like, I don't know what words anybody's mouth rev, but it sounded to me like both Senator Rickenbaugh and Representative um, Lowe believed we've got a problem and we've got to do something um, to address some of the inconsistencies, some of the issues that law enforcement has uh, is apparently on their radar and will be addressed in some way, somehow. Now, Jim is hell-bent, and he's not going to change his mind that we elect magistrates. I've got kind of a um, an alternate formula that I'll propose here in just a few moments as it relates to what I think we could do as some sort of reasonable compromise, uh, but we'll find out in due time how that plays itself out, how that works itself out. Hey, we, we've got a special guest here this morning. Lindsey Chapman is with us. The Florence Soccer Association, um, I guess, is the is a 14-year-old girl. Uh, they won the state championship. But the 14-year-old girl division, they won the state championship and are now headed to Texas, if I'm not mistaken. Lindsey, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm wonderful. How are you doing? So did I get that right? The Florence Soccer Association 
uh, female 14, won the girls' state champion and are on their way to Texas to play in a, is it a national championship? This, is, you are correct, but it is for the regionals, and that means we are representing, we will be the only team from South Carolina for girls that were born in the year of 2008 to go and play against the top teams from Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Alabama, and Florida. Is this the first time something like this has happened in Florence with soccer? It is. What is okay? Help us understand. I mean, we we built a soccer complex. Uh, we've made more of a commitment to soccer. These young girls are obviously talented and well coached. Uh, I would imagine. But but why do you think it's all of a sudden we're, we're this successful with this age group, and now we're off on our way to Texas? I think um, I think they when I came into this program, they already had the competitive nature and the bite to them. And that's half the battle that you have to win. And when you bring in someone who tries to change the way that the girls are playing and they buy into it, they just kind of ran with it. And they, they've they turned it into their own well-oiled machine that myself and the assistant, even in the warm-ups, the girls kind of do it on their own. They, they're very mature for their age, that's for sure. Good deal. So I got to believe that it's going to be expensive to carry this many girls all the way to Texas. How can we help address some of the cost that goes in to making sure that these girls make their way to Texas um, well-funded and well-taken care of? Uh, Well, I appreciate that question so much. The girls are working very hard, and their families are working very hard, roughly including the coaches and just the players and one parent. It's going to be about a $40,000 trip. Um, The girls have been working hard on raising money currently. The most specific thing that we have are sponsorships. So if you say that you want to donate $500, you get the back of your company logo on the back of our T-shirt, and that is the shirt that we will be wearing representing the state of South Carolina and Texas and will be our warm-up shirt. So how can we participate? I mean, if there's a business owner, man or woman, out there listening to my voice right now that says, no, I want to help these young ladies be successful. I want to help them make sure we take uh, care of some of the cost burden. Uh, how is there a website, an email, a phone number? How can they communicate with you or a member of, uh, of the organization? If they would like, I'll give my email and my personal number. My email is lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, at eraleatherman.com. And then my number is area code 678-230-5721. And anybody that will give me a call, I can direct them on how to help. And any even $5 will help. We are very appreciative to everybody already. And what sort of time frame do we have? So for the sponsorships, we need to have them in by May 27th just to ensure that we get the logo on the back of your shirt. If you would like to donate after that, that's perfectly fine. But we depart on June 14th, so we would like to have everything wrapped up by the 1st of June. Okay. Lindsay, once again, I'm going to give you another chance. The phone number and the email address for someone who may be driving and find it a little more complicated to write. Absolutely. The email is lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, at E-R-A-Leatherman.com. 
And the phone number is area code 678-230-5721. Okay, Lindsay, thank you. Congratulations and um, good luck in Texas. Thank you so very much for having us. Thank you very much. Lindsay Chapman, Florence Soccer Association, girls 14-year-old team, uh, won the girls' state championship and now on their way to Texas to um, compete in the regional championships. And I would imagine there will be a national championship after uh, the regionals are taken care of. So let's wish those young ladies well and help them pay the bills as they make their way out to um, Texas. Don't mess with Texas unless you're from South Carolina, right? Unless you're from from South Carolina. That's right. All right, I want to go back to um, to the conversation Friday morning because um, you found it intriguing and interesting. Some of the uh, some of the back and forth we had, uh, and I guess I mean I don't know, Rev. If I add any degree of credibility to these conversations, I mean I presided over the Senate. I mean Mike and I've talked a lot. It's kind of interesting. Uh, I was supportive of Mike's opponent, and Mike and I have talked numerous times since the election because. He's a member of the body I presided over. <laughs> and um, and the first session of Senate I ever witnessed in my life I presided over. And he's kind of, you know, I don't want to say he's wet behind the ears, but he's he's kind of a political novice and he's learning as he goes and he's drinking from a fire hose. So we've chatted several times about realities within the Senate that he's having to deal with. Phillip's kind of an old hand in the House and um, is on the ways and means. So, you know, the House and Senate work together or not, <laughs> depending on what day of the week it is. But, but you know, we, we talked about the school board referendum and the, the fact that we engaged our listenership and explained that in February, asking for the largest increase in the history of Florence County without what I felt was due diligence or appropriate due diligence and uh, a better prepared referendum um, led to its downfall. And I think it failed 75-25 or somewhere thereabout. And we get a lot of credit or blame, depending on what side of the equation you're on as it relates to that. Um, I want to be as involved in the magistrates, um, I don't want to say disaster, but there are a lot of questions we've had. And I'll tell you the turning point to me is when T.J. Joy called in, when Sheriff Joy called in and very passionately expressed himself about the consistency that he demands from his um, from his law enforcement officers and the consistency he desires for those who um, bond or bail some of these um, some of these offenders. And you could hear the frustration in his voice um, when he said, you know, we're going to demand consistency of those who work in our um, division, but we need that to be reciprocated. We need, you know, some of these folks in, um, in, and I don't want to say sentencing guidelines because we're not sentencing. They're not being, you know, they're not committed or excuse me, they're not being convicted of a crime. They're being charged and processed with committing a crime. But, but we had an example here of, you know, someone with, what, 62 grams, 62 pounds of cocaine, $80,000 in cash, and, and had some guns. And, you know, I, I just don't think we'll ever see those people again. Uh, you probably end up in an issue in a bench warrant. It's a warrant at some point in time uh, trying to get those folks back in, uh, back in the fold. But, but, but Mike and Philip both, I think, admitted – I mean, you tell me if I'm wrong, Rev. They admitted – that we've got a problem, that there's a reason to be concerned. Um, I will offer this up as a compromise to our good friend Jim. What if the public? Now I don't know that that the representatives want any part of this, but what if uh, what if the public elected a chief magistrate 
and the chief magistrate, along with the delegation, with a local delegation, will have to figure percentages and weighted and all these other sorts of things. This is my first pass at it. Um, but what if the chief magistrate were elected by the people of this county? In other words, the chief justice, the chief magistrate of, of the Florence County Magistrates Court was elected by the public every four years, and the the associate magistrates were appointed by um, the delegation in consult with the chief magistrate. And there was some accounting. There, there was some accountability within. Guys, it's not a big secret. We know this to be the case. We know nepotism and favoritism and uh, political paybacks. I mean, nobody's that naive. I mean, if you're listening to this show, um, you, you probably pay closer attention than most. So nobody's um, bothered nor surprised when I say that some of those uh, factors come into play, right? I mean, you're nodding your head. I mean, that's not surprise yeah. anybody. I'm not. I'm not accusing anybody yeah, of anything. How that world works, right? But but, but that's just the way that world works. Um, somebody helps someone get elected. Uh, you know, their brother-in-law needs a job, and I mean, he's a competent guy. Uh, a chief magistrate or a magistrate's job is something that he is um, ambitious of, and he ends up getting that that gig, and he's good at it or he's not good at it. But but too much of that happens. So, so if we had an election and we elected a chief magistrate and then they, with the de- in, in consult with the delegation, the delegation and the chief magistrate put together some sort of advice and consent panel and you vetted, you know, you found them to be competent. No, I, you know, somebody said they need to be lawyers. I don't, I don't buy that. I mean, I think you got to be competent. You, you got to be smart. You got to be diligent. You got to be um, experienced. I mean, there are a lot of things. I mean, I can think of several people in my life that aren't lawyers that I think would make wonderful magistrates. I mean, they have the temperament. They're 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 bright. They're competent. They're not going to let things slide through through the cracks. They're going to do the right thing more times than not. But I think then the public has a hand in in that system. Uh, now I don't know that the Senate would a senator would like that. I don't know the House members would like that. But but I'm just proposing as a as a starting point or somewhere to get the conversation started. What if every voter in Florence County had a chance to elect a chief magistrate every four years, and then the associate magistrates are appointed with the consult of the chief magistrate and the delegation? Is that a reasonable starting point? Once again, it's a compromise or a hybrid, if well, I mean, you will. It's a hybrid guess, and a way. compromise, but it gets the conversation started, mm-hmm. and I think we get to a better system of holding people accountable. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Linda in Pamplico. Good morning, Linda. Good morning, y'all. My husband and I were talking this morning um, after listening to the news about those two uh, shootings, about the one in the supermarket, and then there was another one in a church. And then, you know, they're using a convicted uh, criminal is a hero, a martyr. These people need to be prosecuted, executed, put away forever, ever. They're not making an example of them. Why eyewitnesses, they did it. They're wrong. They need to go. I don't know what's happening. We need a new sheriff. We need somebody to kick ass and take names. And that's where it is. Thank you, Linda. Appreciate that. Thank you a lot. Appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, whether it's a church in in Chicago or a a parade in Wisconsin or a supermarket in Buffalo, people who take innocent life need to be dealt with accordingly. 
to, to Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, white, black. I mean, yeah, all of those come into the, the makeup of a nation. Of course they do. And we're not going to ever completely uh, distance ourselves from those realities. But, but I'm just I'm tired of watching uh, poli- people in the political world try to capitalize or minimize whatever the events are simply because it's in their political best interest or not. It appears the situation in Buffalo was very um, much racially motivated. Well, I mean, we got a hate crime. Why does it matter if it's a hate crime or not? I mean, to me, if somebody walks into a, a, a supermarket fully armed and uh, with, 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 with body armor and all these other sorts of things and begins shooting innocent people, and it's obvious they're targeting blacks and Jews, I mean, that's what we're hearing. I don't know that to be true, but that's what some of the initial reporting is. But, but I mean, it, hate crime. It's still 10 innocent people killed in a grocery store. But, but once again, Biden will go to Buffalo today, and you can rest assured that there will be a lot of political insinuations included uh, in, in what he has to say. It will not be to bring the country together. It will not be to heal the wound. It will be there to probably even further divide where we are as a nation, 843-661-0937. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone is on the phone. Let's go there. Tony in Sumter listening to WDXY this morning. Hello, Tony. Morning, General. How are you all this morning? Hey, Tony. The only thing that bothers me about this whole situation is the fact that it's going to take 20 years or 30 years if they give this guy a death penalty, which the state of New York, I think, has abolished. And, and I'm a big draconian when it comes to that. This clown in Charleston is going to sit on death row for the next 30 years, and then they may get it and they may execute it. No. Uh, the doctors have three years statute of limitations when they make a screw-up. Give him seven years and then execute him. Be done with it. You wouldn't have as many people sitting on death row as you have, and it would send a message that we're not going to tolerate this nonsense. Black, white, pink, or yellow. You take somebody's life, we're going to take yours. Simple as that. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate that. I think the majority of people feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the majority. I can't speak in liberal circles because I don't hang around uh, some of the places where. I mean, I, I'm not. I mean, I, I've got a few liberal friends, but but my universe is by and large people who feel similarly uh to i mean we have some nuanced differences but nothing significant or substantial i mean i would imagine if you get up to some of the coastal elites you know so, some of the real liberal areas of america they'd have a different sort of conversation about capital punishment and what to do there in relation to but but i you know when i hear this story i, I don't think of mag i don't think of bernie sanders i don't think of liberal america it, 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 remember when um congressman scalise got shot and the first question someone asked was it uh, was it a Republican practice or a Democrat practice? I mean, that's where we've gotten to in America. I mean, there's there's a political expedient story that that helps or advantages or disadvantages one party or another. And when it comes to human life, we're talking about abortion for a couple of weeks. Now we're talking about you know people shopping on a Saturday afternoon in their local supermarket. I mean, it doesn't matter if they're Democrat, doesn't matter if they're Republican, doesn't matter if they're uh, poor or rich or man or woman. I mean, they're innocent people living their lives and and some, you know, mentally deranged racist shows up and, and kills innocent people. That's not a Republican nor a Democrat issue. Joe Lockhart can do all he tries to blame it on Tucker Carlson and Fox News. Nobody associated with Tucker Carlson approves of that. 
Nobody at Fox News approves of that simply because you believe in some of the conservative values and conservative principles in America. Um, I don't know anybody in MAGA universe, you know, the, 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 the MAGA king or the ultra MAGA or the extreme MAGA. I don't know anybody associated loosely or closely with MAGA who thinks it's okay to walk into a grocery store and kill innocent Jews and African-Americans just because your political orthodoxies or ideologies um, insist certain things. I mean, that's absurd. Uh, That's an absurd observation to make. But once again, it scores political points. And we live in a country now where these people have to score political points. Joe Lockhart can't make a living unless he scores political points. There's nothing of value Lockhart adds to the economy. Rick Wilson, similar. Uh, Lincoln Project co-founder had some pretty reprehensible things to say, blaming it on Tucker Carlson, said this guy would have been the perfect, um, you know, junior producer at the Tucker Carlson show. The only reason these people say these things, that's all they're worth. They're worth nothing else. They don't contribute anything of significance to the economy other than fan the flames and create more division. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. Got a lot of different stories. Not a big story out there this morning other than the horrific shooting in Buffalo, which is not a political story. I mean, it's a crime story. It's a, it's a mass shooting. Um, we choose to turn these things into matters of politics. And Joe Lockhart, uh, former communications director for the Clinton administration, um, more blood on the hands of at Tucker Carlson and at Fox News. This killer used their racist talking points to justify killing 10 people. Carlson won't stop because, as he explained to the New York Times, it's good for ratings, lives be damned, um, as Carlson will be at Judgment Day. So Lockhart is all of a sudden passing judgment on everybody. That's the guy that worked for the Clintons. I mean, that I, I guess that duly qualifies you to pass judgment on on the morality or not of somebody else, um, who's less moral than the Clintons? I mean, imagine the morality it takes to be a um, a Clinton operative, especially the communications director. But Joe Lockhart um, wastes no time in condemning Fox News and Tucker Carlson for being complicit and partly to blame in the horrific events of um, in Buffalo on Saturday. Georgetown professor Dan Moynihan, not to be outdone by his Democratic liberal friend uh, Joe Lockhart, says the gunman who killed at least 10 people in Buffalo is a self-described white supremacist who advocates for the Great Replacement Theory. He left a manifesto. Um, See if you can tell the difference between it and standard fare on the Tucker Carlson show. Um, Tucker must be over the target. I mean, for Lockhart... For Dan Moynihan, uh, here's another Lincoln Project co-founder. Who's more disgusting than a Lincoln Project co-founder? Uh, the, the list would be very limited. Uh, he'd be in the short line. But anyway, Rick Wilson, who is a, um, a former Republican consultant in days before Trump, um, says the Buffalo Killers Manifesto reads like a job application for a junior producer on Tucker Carlson. And no, I'm not being flippant. To Lockhart, to Moynihan, to Rick Wilson, um, you disgust me and about half the country. I am not anywhere near as disgusted by you as I am what happened in Buffalo, but your resounding comments, turning it into a political matter, um, is, is, is about disgusting or as disgusting as it gets. Um, let's go to the phone. Who is this and where are you calling from? Hey, hey. Okay. Do we have a phone call? 
We do have a call. Who is this and recalling from? This is Brian. Hey, Brian, Hello. how are you? Yes, sir. Good. Unfortunately, I had the uh, a chance to see that video that the Bush live streamed. And uh, the one thing I've yet to hear is the role that video games have influenced these kids. And if you, if you happen to see this video, it looks exactly like a Call of Duty video or video game to the T. Hmm. It's almost like it's almost like he staged it to, to be a Call of Duty video game style video. It's and, just disgusting. And, and the point you're making is we've desensitized. And Absolutely. Okay. Fair, fair, fair comment. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. I've heard a couple of other people um, make comments similar to that, that we have um, desensitized an 18-year-old um, who lives a, a bit of an abnormal life. But I, mean, I think we'll all admit, uh, all agree, no matter if you're Republican, a Democrat, a liberal, conservative, I mean, if you walk into a grocery store and begin mowing down innocent people, there's some degree of derangement you're dealing with. I mean, I don't care how racist you are. I don't care how anti-Semitic you are or are not. Um, I don't care how much you wish that, um, that that slavery still exists in America today. There's some still some degree of mental derangement that you have to process to get to a place where you think it can be justified in any way, shape, or form to point a loaded gun at an innocent person that you don't know. I mean, that, that's not war. And, um, and I do think Brian's hitting on something here. The fact that we, it's a little bit like the argument I make, uh, we govern in a flight simulator. You know, let's 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 simulate what happens to an economy when you inject two and a half trillion dollars of cash and you leave interest rates at about zero and you allow the Fed to buy the debt the government allocates or appropriates that it doesn't have. We don't live in a flight simulator and these um, these horrific or excuse me, these video games, um, as real as they appear to be, they're obviously not. And someone can probably get a bit entrapped. Or, or entranced or trapped by entrapped, I think is the word I'm looking for here. By, by you know, we, we do this every day. I sit behind a computer and I play these gun games and I shoot these people and blow these people up, but then I hit reset and I hit play again and they get up or another group of, um, of people come out and we shoot them down and we're not in a flight simulator. And, and I do think to some degree we've desensitized and, and young people in particular that once you pull the trigger and that bullet leaves the chamber, aim for Mike or me or somebody else, that potentially ends a human life. That there, there, There's a, re, a stark reality there that I think people with ah, derangements j- just don't fully process nor comprehend. Is there a call, Mike? Okay, let's go to the phone. Who is this and where are you calling from? Hey, hey, you're on the phone. Who is this and where are you calling from? Yeah, this is, this is Joe. Hey, Joe. Uh, it's just interesting. You know how hard it is to get a gun in New York, right? Mm-hmm. A year earlier, this kid made threats to his high school buddies. I don't know if they're buddies or not, but uh, he was taken for mental examinations and under a doctor's care. How was he able to get a gun? It's kind of like Dylan Roof here in, in South Carolina. The same type of deal. I mean, the kid was sick. That was pure evil. But yet he was allowed to get a gun. They said, first thing they said, oh, he was legally able to buy that gun. But then they started talking about the magazines and everything else was illegal. Um, You know what Biden's going to do. He's going to go up there and divide the hell out of the country just like he always does and call for gun control. that's a perfect example of them not following up on 
on things they should follow up on and nut jobs getting the gun. Uh, I'm not going to pay for it, but everyone else in that community will. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. You know, in, in normal political times, the Democrats would make this all about gun control and the Second Amendment, and we've got to modify or amend uh, the Second Amendment uh, to make it tougher and more difficult and more complicated to get a gun. Um, Joe kind of laid out some of the realities of this person was identified as someone to be suspicious of, to be aware of, that may or may not have um, certain characteristics. But but, but the Democrats aren't stopping there now. You can, I mean, mark my words, this is going to be about MAGA. It's going to be about Tucker Carlson. It's going to be about Fox News. It's going to be about, you know, the extremists within uh, this America First movement. Guys, there's a reason we've seen this pivot overnight. Um, and MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. How many times have you heard MAGA over the weekend? I mean, we went a long time and never heard much about MAGA until Joe Biden starts saying it. And, and I'm telling you why. They polled MAGA. And independent voters believe that MAGA insinuates, or with air quotes, MAGA exim, uh, insinuates a little more extreme guy or a little more extreme lady. America First doesn't offend anybody. Independent voters here, uh, are you an America First Republican? Yeah, okay, I'm not bothered. Are you a MAGA Republican? Better watch those. Better keep your eye on those MAGA Republicans. So Joe's exactly right. In, in normal historical um, uh, events like this, the Democrat would go to Buffalo and, and try to argue the merits of why we need stricter gun control. Um, but he won't stop there. I mean, obviously, that'll be a part of it. I mean, that's kind of the expected part of it. But I'm predicting that Biden will go a step further and begin basically condemning the MAGA movement. It won't be the America First movement because that doesn't bother independents. It'll be the MAGA movement. It'll be Tucker Carlson. It'll be talk radio. Um, it'll be all of us who fan the flames of hatred and racism in America um, when, when the reality should be how did a mentally ill person uh, become a gun owner in w one of the most liberal states by liberal I mean one of the states most difficult to 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 you know acquire, acquire a firearm how can um, that be we got a call I think let's go to the phone who is this and where are you calling from are you talking to me? Yes, sir. You're on the phone. Hello. Hey, this is Bert. Hey, Bert. Um, listen, I'm going to tell you what's bothering me here. This this manifesto was found by CNN, first red flag, and it says he describes himself, himself as fascist, white supremacist, and an anti-Semite. Okay, you tell me what person describes themselves in that manner. Not nobody, not one person describes themselves that even the most racist person that I've ever met doesn't think they're a racist. So this guy puts a manifesto online describing himself in these manners. And then the first thing they attack, like you said, is not guns. It's the Internet that they're attacking. I think this is about Musk. That's exactly what I think this is about. I don't think it's about guns. I think it's about regulating the the ability to say things on the internet that's what they're attacking and mag is always thrown in there just because they hate us so bad but this whole thing i mean horrible people got shot and all that yeah granted but i don't think he had anything to do with this manifesto not a thing thank you bert 
Uh, that's one man's opinion. I don't know. I think CNN did find the manifesto. And the manifesto, um, he does refer to himself and in those sorts of ways. And that is kind of odd that someone would confess you know, to themselves and publicly, um, I am a white supremacist. I am this. I am that. I am uh, the other. Is there another call, Mike? 843-661-0937. Who is this and where are you calling from? Okay, Linda, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Hey, Linda, how are you? I'm fine. I kind of agree with the caller before me. I found it suspicious that he, first of all, he even had a manifesto. He's an 18-year-old. But I didn't also like what the pastor said yesterday because we are supposed to be people of love, not people of hatefulness. And people do things for the wrong reason, for whatever. They do things for the wrong reason. And I think this is a, is, is really going to be political because it's all about gun control. And um, one of the things that the pastor said that I didn't like, he said killing black folks. Well, guess what? We kill more of our own people than white people do. And that needs to be our priority is why are we killing ourselves? We're only 11.3% of the population, and we're dwindling down because we're killing ourselves, not white folks. But I, I'm very suspicious of this manifesto. I'm very suspicious of how this child um, drove three miles, and they haven't mentioned his parents, so I don't even know if they knew he was gone. I mean, I have an 18-year-old and a 20, and I kind of keep an eye on them. They may not know that I'm keeping an eye on them, but they miss them for more than 30 minutes. I want to know where you are. But y'all have a great day. Thank you, Linda. Appreciate that. Look, I wish it did stop at gun control. I mean, I, that, that, you know, the, the Democrats are, they're for stricter gun control. I mean, they're for amending the Second Amendment. They're, they're for um, enforcing stricter rules and regulations that make it harder for you and I own guns. But that's an, an ideological position they hold. I disagree with it. I think it's anti-constitutional. But, but in some weird way, you kind of expect that. Uh, I would expect Biden to, to get behind a podium today and lecture to New Yorkers and Americans, for that matter, why this is the latest example of, of having too many guns in too many people's hands, and, and we got to stop that. But it won't end there, guys. I mean, the Democrats are not going to stop there. It's going to be a, a confrontation. It's going to be very divisive. It's going to be very uh, racially motivated and ideologically motivated. But it's not going to be as much about gun control as you expect. It's going to be more about the MAGA movement, the extreme element within the MAGA movement, that, that everybody that, that voted for Trump and everybody who pledges some degree of support to the former president, it, it's because he's racist and you are. He's divisive and you are. He's um, motivated by things that are not in our best interest, and you are. I mean, that, that's the narrative that you're going to be, um, that you'll see come out. And I'm telling you guys, um, I know how these people operate, and it's whichever way the wind's blowing. And if, if, especially if they're desperate, and if 75% of Americans believe we're on the wrong track, and Biden's approval ratings are 39%, they've tried to sell you, the American public, that the reason all these issues are at hand, the reason you're having to deal with all these realities is the Biden administration inherited, you know, the mess the Trump administration cooked up. I mean, that was a strategy for a long time. 
But the polls show the public wasn't buying that. I mean, the public was like, no, don't, don't, this is your baby. Um, you know, you're the one that said, you're, you, you know, we need adults in the White House. The adults can control the economy and, you know, kind of get the trains running back on time. And you fail to do that. So you shift gears and you find something else that, that you know, may or may not sway the voters. And I can tell you there's been a lot of polling about the terminology MAGA. And there's a reason you're hearing that more and more and more and more. They couldn't convince you that the Biden economy was Trump's fault. They couldn't convince you that $4.50 a gallon gasoline was Trump's fault and not Biden or the evil, excuse me, the greedy evil oil companies. In other words, you've convinced yourself and the pollsters and the politicos that Biden is the boss and this is his baby to say grace over. Well, that's when they begin shifting gears. For a long time, they tried, but the polling showed they weren't being, uh, you weren't being convinced. So they had to go back to the drawing board. They found this little um, slither of opportunity, and that's what they're going to try to capitalize on. So I'll make a prediction. As many times as Biden says gun control today, he will probably refer to MAGA as, um, as an equal contributor to why we've got this horrific tragedy over the weekend in Buffalo. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Who is this and where are you calling from? Good morning. How are y'all doing? Hey, how are you? Good. This is Pat. Hey, Pat. Uh, just wanted to say also, and you may have already said it this morning, but uh, we recently had a um, subway shooting, and that story died pretty much the next day. And we also recently had a um, parade killer. The guy ran down to Dancing Grannies, and uh, that story pretty much died also. But neither one of them fit their narrative, so you're exactly right. So they're just going to carry on the way they're going to carry on, and and that's the way it is. Y'all have a good day. Thank you. Appreciate the call. Um, I watched something on NBC News. I might have been meeting the press yesterday. Had Al Sharpton uh, sitting around the round table. I don't know about you, but um, if you if NBC News considers Al Sharpton to be a serious voice on um, race relations in America, that's like hiring a, a career arsonist to condemn a firebombing. I mean, all Al Sharpton has ever done is create um, racial tension, racial division. Uh, he's a race baiter personified, but NBC News showed their true colors when yesterday they had a roundtable conversation about race in America. Once again, that would be like you've got some guy been convicted of arson. Uh, he's a career arsonist. He's got a history of being a career arsonist, and you're asking him to condemn a firebombing. Uh, Sharpton carries no credibility as far as I'm concerned in the issue of race. I don't know anybody that would pay any attention to what Al Sharpton says anyway, but NBC News trotted him out as a resident expert on race relations. Uh, there's a difference in race relations and race baiting. I'm a white guy from Pamplico, but my heart breaks when 10 innocent people in Buffalo are killed, whether they're white, black, Jewish, Hispanic, um, Christian, non-Christian, Muslim, doesn't matter to me. I mean, people have a right to live their lives without fear of being uh, a victim of some violent crime perpetrated by a, a quasi-madman. And that's going to be the story here. And, you know, we were talking a few seconds ago with Joe, and I was Joe had held on for a second, because we have an issue of mental illness in America. And I think a lot of conservatives and Republicans and Democrats and liberals believe that there has to be some uh, not just awareness brought to the issue of mental illness, but there has to be some programs uh, developed to care for, to facilitate um, 
you know, identifying who these people are, making sure they don't own guns, making sure they don't kill innocent people. But mental illness is real in America, and I think we've neglected to deal with the issue of mental illness in a in a formidable way that does curtail the chances or lessen the likelihood of something like this happening again. 843-661-0937 is our number. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. You know, the one point I will make in reference to last week and this week, kind of, um, I don't know, uh, merging the two together. I think last week we talked a lot about abortion and the respect for human life, the dignity that human life deserves, uh, whether that's in the mother's womb or at a convenience store, grocery store, or a parade, no matter where it is. I think the conservatives' consistency on life is something to be applauded and rewarded. It's not, you know, we don't pick and choose what life is more valuable than what other life. Life begins at conception as far as I'm concerned, and life never stops being precious. It's precious in the mother's womb. It's precious as an infant. It's precious uh, as a 16-year-old boy. That's hard, but it's still precious as a 16-year-old boy. Uh, It's precious as an adult. It's precious as a Jewish patron at a supermarket in uh, Buffalo or a person in a parade in Wisconsin. The consistency that life is a gift from God and it is um, precious and paramount is something that I think conservatives can be gratified in or take some solace in, you know, the, the inconsistency. I put something on Twitter Saturday, Mike, about uh, life on Mars. I thought it was kind of an interesting observation. I was reading about Elon Musk and, and colonizing Mars and, you know, three years or five years or 20 years or a, or 100 years. I mean, his goal is to live uh, one day on Mars. Uh, that's kind of a unique goal or ambition to have. But I began reading about life on Mars, and the majority of life has been defined on Mars uh, via biomarkers and biosignatures. And some of the liberals have bought into that. You know, there are signs of life on Mars because we buy biomarkers and biosignatures, but they won't accept that life is in a mother's womb. In other words, life on Mars is life because we have biomarkers and biosignatures. I'm not sure I understand uh, at any depth those sorts of, of comments, but, it, but those are two words that have expressed in, in a lot of what I read about Musk and Mars and life on Mars and can you colonize or uh, is Mars inhabitable? And it really, you know, that, that, those two words were thrown around a lot, biomarkers and biosignatures. Well, what are the biomarkers? Of a, of a baby in a mother's womb or biosignatures of, of life after conception. And I do think there's kind of a convergence here of, of conservatives when we say that life is precious, life is valuable, life is special. Um, it's no less special in a mother's womb or no more special in a mother's womb than it is uh, with innocent people on a Saturday afternoon at a supermarket in uh, Buffalo, New York, and my heart breaks equally. When either of those lives is exterminated, it's the left that gets themselves kind of tied in knots. Um, This life is more precious than that life, and this life is more special than that other life. I think that's a very secular worldview, and I think if you don't believe that God is the giver of life, you probably aren't as conflicted as I would be in trying to twist myself. Once you accept that there's a God in heaven and that God is the giver of life, it, it, it's easy to stay fairly consistent. I mean, it's not easy to stay. It's, we're still going to get complicated. We, we had questions last week about 
you know, in your personal situation, what do you do? Or in their personal situation, what should they do? That's called frailty. I mean, that's called the fall of man. That's called it the sin, the sin element that allows us to do things uh, we shouldn't. Or, but, 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 uh, the life in a grocery store at 50 years old is no, or, no more or less important than the life. And forget the biomarkers and biosignatures that they're talking about colonizing Mars. Um, I just thought that was interesting that some of the liberals who were, you know, they were very um, supportive of Musk and what he was trying to do, electric cars and space travel and, and all these other things until he buys Twitter or attempts to buy Twitter. You know, that deal's on hold now because in the, uh, in the, in the negotiation, Twitter basically said that fake accounts and bots make up about 4 to 5% of all total accounts. And now they're finding out it may be 9 or 10%, and that's a big number. I mean, we're talking about millions and millions and millions of subscribers, and 4 or 5% are bots or fake accounts. That's one number. If that number goes to 7 8 9%, I mean, that's a staggering difference, and he's kind of pumped the brakes a little bit. He's not – I mean, he says he's committed to the deal, and he wants to own Twitter, but he's got some of this due diligence he has to do to make sure he's buying what they're telling him uh, he's buying. And I think Jack Dorsey, I mean, I read something in, might've been the Rolling Stone magazine that said Dorsey was helping Musk with some of the, uh, some of the algorithms, some of the, some of the research that goes into how they know if they're fake accounts or, or bots or they're real people tweeting, tweeting real things. 843-661-0937 is our number. You know, I want to, I want to apologize to President Biden. Because I said he hadn't done anything right. He's not made life easy for anybody. One thing he's made a lot less complicated. You ready? Here's the one thing that we can give Joe Biden credit for. When inflation is as rampant as it is, and the cost of goods is as expensive as they are, a lot of families are having to make real tough decisions. Food and fuel. In other words, do I buy the baby formula or do I put gas in my car to get me to work? Well, you can't find the baby formula, so you're not having to make that critical decision now. So let's give Biden a little bit of credit. He's taken that complication off the table. If you can't find baby formula, you just buy the food, buy the fuel. So, so for those of you out there who make um, small amounts of money in your employment, um, and you got to make these real tough decisions about do I buy groceries or do I buy the gas to get me to work? Uh, and then you kind of got to, you know, got to balance that out. Now, those who make a lot of money, it doesn't matter. You know, inflation's still hurtful and harmful, but you can kind of handle it because you've got a little more disposable income than most. But for those out there on a shoestring budget that have historically in times like this had to make a very conscious decision, do I buy the food that I want or do I kind of skimp on the food and buy the fuel, a little bit less food, a little bit less fuel, hope Friday gets here sooner than later and I can try it all again. Um, Biden has taken that complication off the table. You can't find baby formula, so you buy the fuel with whatever money you've got. Um, I'm being a bit sarcastic there, and I think you detect uh, the sarcasm. 843-661-0937 is our number. takes Mondays to make Fridays. i got a couple of other things here we'll um, chase down as the morning progresses, but right now we've got a call. Who is this and where are you calling from? Hey, I'm John. Hey, John, how are you? You're on the air, my friend. All right, buddy. Look, I, you just mentioned uh, baby formula. Uh, I'm a wholesaler by trade. And just so everybody knows, I looked it up uh, the other night because of my great-grandchild. Um, 
you can still get back to Formula in Canada and have a ship team. So say that again, John. You can still go online and buy a, buy a baby formula in Canada and have a ship team. Okay, go online where? Because I've got several people in my in my immediate world that say they're really concerned about not being able to find baby formula. Is there a certain website? Well, I found one at, at just their wholesalers, and uh, you can find it at uh, any wholesale outlet, uh, Costco outlet, uh, Walmart outlet, stuff like that. The wholesale section, not not the regular stores. Gotcha. Which can through the wholesale. And that's in Canada. So you're saying they have. Yep. They have baby formula yep. in Canada. Yep. Good deal. Thank you, John. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937 is our number. Um, I, I, I don't know. I watched something on, might have been CNN, might have been NBC News with uh, a representative of Abbott Labs. And they're, you know, the, the Abbott Lab representative or executive was pushing back a little bit saying, you know, you guys are trying to blame us for all of this. And we didn't create the problem single-handedly. Um, the FDA is there to regulate some of these plants that make baby formula. And the FDA came in kind of at the last moment and shut down some of these lines. But if the FDA is there to regulate safety, then, and they've got oversight in regulating that safety, then how did we find out uh, just now that the issues at Abbott Labs, some of this pre-exist, this really goes back to the beginning of the Biden administration when they thought they had a problem at Abbott and the FDA just not, not as, as government tends to not do, not very efficient in uh, helping navigate those, um, those waters. Let's go to the phone. Who is this and where are you calling from? Hello. 843-661-0937. Is someone there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Who is this? Where are you calling from? My name's Mitch on the highway in okay. South Carolina. You are on I'm the air, sir. I'm calling about the baby, baby formula. People not having being able to find it. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was when my kids were first born 50, 20 years ago, um, it was very expensive for a young couple to start out to have to buy the baby formula. We complained to it about our doctor and our, our pediatrician at the time told us that they sell vitamin drops that you can put in whole milk. The same. We lost you, sir. I'm sorry. 843-661-0937. He's talking about, I guess, a substitute for baby formula. In other words, what did we do before we had baby formula? I mean, breast milk and whole milk and uh, I would imagine some other nutrition, baby food. Uh, Where did babies get nutrition? Because we've not had baby formula, but what, 40 years, maybe 50 years. I think the the baby formula phenomenon uh, began in about 1954 somewhere in the mid fifties from what I understand. So for the, uh, for the majority of time that man has been on the planet, we've not had baby formula and now we can't live without baby formula. Something that's only been here for about 50, 60, 70 years, eight, four, three, six, six, one, Oh, nine, three, seven. Let's go to the phone. Who is this? And where are you calling from? This is Bob from Florence. Hey, Bob. How are you gentlemen doing this? We're morning? doing well. How are you? Hey, great. Um, uh, it's funny you should mention that. Let me tag team on on, on the fellow that got cut off. Um, I was born in 1956, and and um, uh, they didn't have baby formula then. And what you asked the question, what did people do? Well, people made their own. <clears throat> uh, you make it 
the old formula is you take uh, you get a, a can of condensed milk and you mix it 50 50 with water you add a teaspoon of, uh, of molasses or dark caro syrup and three drops of baby vitamins and then you shake that up and you keep it in your refrigerator and that's what people fed their children so i mean it the uh, condensed milk is plentiful in the store you can get it and if and if you can follow a simple cooking recipe you can make baby formula for your baby now another alternative is the second most common kind of milk in the world is goat's milk and, and if you will go on your search engine your favorite search engine and go and um, search for goat's milk baby formula you will get a vast array of choices in both liquid and powder form and I checked it yesterday and it is plentiful and they are shipping so pe people do have choices and one aside for the goat's milk if you have a baby that's got colic or <clears throat> uh, a lot, has a lot of upset stomach uh, many times the, the pediatrician will uh, prescribe a, a soybean or corn oil baby formula and goat's milk is is much more easily digested and and children that have stomach trouble uh, generally benefit from it. So Bob, how much of this? How much of this? Let me, let me hold you for a second. How much of this is people like being freaked out? I mean, if the, if the American public see an opportunity to be freaked out, it seems like we take advantage of of every chance we're given in in that sort. Oh yeah, we'll never let a crisis go to waste. Yeah. I mean, if if you don't have a crisis, create a crisis. There, there you go. I, I find it amusing that that you've got people that have got a. Uh, uh, graduate degrees from universities and some postgraduate degrees freak out they can't they can't make baby formula and it, it's crazy and, and uh i i don't know the world's just gone mad ken i just don't know <laughs> <laughs> thank you sir appreciate that bob 843-661-0937 let's take a break we've got a call we'll get to the call on the other side of this break takes mondays to make fridays in case you're um, noticing uh, dave had to step out rev had to go uh, visit our station in Orangeburg, our affiliate in Orangeburg. They've got some issues over there that he's take, uh, having to take care of. So Mike's scrambling back and forth from computer to computer to computer to phone back to computer. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Who is this and where are you calling from? Hey, it's Jim and Clark. Hey, Jim. How are you? Doing well. Hey, Ken. So it's somebody that living uh, this formula nightmare firsthand <laughs> listening to these comments is really overly infuriating um ken to to be blunt do you know what we did before um formula um became as good as it has um and for children that couldn't take their mother's milk or the mother couldn't make milk i have no idea okay. I mean, I've read a little bit about it over the weekend. I mean, I've tried to read that there's a, believe it or not, there's this crazy website called Milk Drunk, and it basically talks about the latest baby formula and the evolution of baby. I mean, you know the internet has a source for every single question humanity has, so I get on this website over the weekend, Milk Drunk, and it's about feeding your baby and uh, so some of the expert insights of what formula works and what doesn't work and some of the complications. So, so, but, but to your point, as it relates to the, the realities of now here and now, no, I don't understand it. But babies died. That, that's what happened. That's what used to happen. You know, uh, my son, my wife produced a lot of milk 
my son couldn't take it for whatever reason. Um, we've got two freezers full of, of breast milk. He can't drink it. Um, we had to find a formula. Um, a lot of the people being affected are the ones that have to use this formula called Alimentum made by Abbott. Um, that's what we have to use. You can't find it. We're having to use the Walmart variety of it. Luckily, we can still kind of find it. Um, but <clears throat> there's, there's no option of making, making milk for us or making formula. Um, so it, <laughs> there's a lot more to this than just, oh, well, go make your own formula. Yeah, so that can run right through my child and he doesn't get the nutrients that he needs. Um, our infant mortality rate in this country um, it, it nominally is it's almost next to zero what it used to be 50 and 75 years ago. Babies live now, and a lot of that has to do with the formula. So um, this is a real issue. There's not some easy you know, remedy for it for parents, and it's a problem that people in our very midst, including myself, are dealing with on a not a day-to-day basis, a bottle-to-bottle basis. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate that. You know, I did read um, on the website Milk Drunk that the the Infant Formula Act, in other words, you've got in, in the 1960s, the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, began releasing, I want to be careful here, I, I guess recommended vitamins, recommended minerals that should be in the baby formula. And then in 1980, Congress adopted uh, believe it or not, Congress gets in, involved in regulate the Instant Baby, excuse me, the Infant Formula Act, and that set a lot of quality controls. It mandated testing. It uh, regulated minimum and maximum amounts of nutrients uh, in, in some of the formula. So yeah, I mean it's complicated, and um, and Jim's living it in the first person, and I'm certainly um, not insisting that it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal for me, but but of course it is if you got an infant who's sensitive to a certain sort of nutrient or not. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937. Someone held on during the break. Let's go there. I want to come back. I've got six or eight people texting me about the 7th Congressional District. You know, kind of the analysis we gave Friday. I gave it a couple of days last week and kind of review the analysis after we get some um, some new polling out of Pennsylvania. I think this does correlate to the 7th District. Let's go to the phone, and then we'll go to that, um, that, that much-anticipated analysis. Yeah, right. Uh, who is this and where are you calling from? Good morning, Kenneth. Jamie, how you doing? Hey, Jam, how are you? I'm good, man. I want to tell you a small history that I used to hear from my grandmother uh, about raising children. Um, she was born in uh, 1896, and uh, after the war, um, a lot of uh, Southern families were having to have much larger families to help run the farms. And after the war till about, I think about 1910, somewhere around there, there was a time called uh, Second Summer. And it was the, the second summer when a child would be moved off mother's milk to cow's milk. And there was a high percentage of infants lost during that time. And uh, goat milk was a huge substance for them to use. But there was a time where it was it was you couldn't expect to lose a child in the second summer um, because there was no formula back then. And I just thought I'd uh, tell you that little bit of history. Thank you, Jam. Appreciate it. You know, growing up, it was odd to me how many of my grandparents and their friends had lost a sibling. You know, um, 
how, how many brothers do you have? Well, I had three brothers, but one died when he was six. One died when he was three. One died as an infant. I mean, it hardly ever happened in my generation. Uh, you know, kids just didn't die. But but I can remember hearing my grandparents talk about, you know, uh, the brother of theirs that died at four years old or three years old or two years old or, or whatever age it was. And I would imagine uh, some of this was nutrition related. Um, I've heard of the second summer, the thing Jam's talking about. And, and of course, our families had more children because they had uh, kind of, you know, labor intensive farming. Yeah, you needed laborers and families were, um, I, I hate to say this, but kind of cheap labor. And um, you invested in the family and you invested in the farm. And that was the way you kind of made your contribution. But I just always remember my grandparents would always talk about, you know, the brother that died as an infant or the sister that died as an infant or the two brothers that died as infants. And, you know, maybe that was uh, so some of the uh, some of the lack of nutrition, nutrition, uh, nutrients, I'm sorry, uh, nutrition. And uh, and maybe some of that was the fact that we didn't have formula and you had to take what you got and some of the creativity uh, that, that, you know, Bob talked about a second ago, just wasn't good enough for some of the other kids. I want to do this before we go further down the road. How about five people text me uh, during the last break and, and ask about, you know, why do you, why have you formed this analysis on the 7th Congressional District, and what's behind it? Well, let me answer the second question first. Nothing is behind it. Nothing at all is behind uh, what my feelings are about the 7th Congressional District. I am neutral and impartial. I make no bones and I make no apologies. I'm an America First Republican. I mean, that's on full full disclosure and on full display. I am an America First Republican. I am not a Trump loyalist. I am an America first loyalist. Um, there are things about Trump I like and things about Trump I don't like. Uh, there are a lot more things about America first that I like than I don't like. But I've been asked about the 7th Congressional District even before we uh, moderated the debate and had a successful debate. And a lot of my analysis is is kind of um, some of the conversations I have with uh, uh, with people like Robert Cahaley, who are in the business of polling, in the business of um analyzing statistically and mathematically, you know, what he thinks is going to happen in some of these races. And some of this is uh, my gut instinct. Uh, take the combination of statistical analysis, uh, polling, uh, the math, and and my gut. And I think it leads to a, I don't want to say a, an absolute place of, uh, you know, I know this is going to happen or I know that is going to happen. I'm not arguing that at all. It's one man's opinion, uh, but I don't think it's as, um, as amateurish as some of the others, I think I have a, a certain understanding of this congressional district. I think I have a certain understanding of the electorate, and I think I have a certain understanding uh, of how the correlation between uh, races and other places will play uh, in relation to this race. Uh, I want to start by saying this. Uh, I made an announcement last week. Nobody asked me, but I just kind of pledged the information. Um, my daughter is a rising sophomore at the Darlemore School of Business, and was looking for a, for a job this summer. So I reached out to my good friend, Robert Cahaley, who is a senior strategist and pollster at Trafalgar, and um, she's secured a paid internship, you know, working at Trafalgar, and today is her first day on the job. Well, I imagined 
uh, because the conversations Robert and I had, she would be doing a lot of work from home. There would be an occasion she may go to Atlanta or Greenville. I think they've got a satellite office in Greenville, if I'm not mistaken. Well, the first day of work today for her with Trafalgar, she boarded a plane at 630 this morning on her way to Washington, D.C., where she'll be there all day today, all day tomorrow um, in meetings. Uh, you know, your daughter is in meetings in a city far, far away. You're a little bit uh, nervous and anxious and concerned about that. But uh, but anyway, she got on a plane at 630 this morning. She's meeting up with other um, officials from Trafalgar. And in her words, uh, they're having meetings in Washington today and tomorrow. So she's learning up close and, and personal, I guess, the nature of politics in our in our capital. I want to go back to the to the race in the seventh congressional district. Um, Trump is thirty six and one. He's actually thirty nine and one, but about thirty three of the thirty nine are layups. I mean, there's no way it's, it's a um, it's an incumbent unopposed or an incumbent with token opposition. So so he's had about thirty five. Ah, about thirty three of the forty have been layups. There have been seven races that that were hotly contested and could have gone one way or another. He's six and one in those seven. The main, J.D. Vance in Ohio was the first shoe to drop, so to speak, that kind of garnered a lot of people's attention. But the West Virginia House race was the one I paid close, close attention to. And I thought that the, I don't know, the, um, the analysis of the West Virginia race would be similar to the analysis of the seventh congressional race. And here's what you've got. You've got a Trump-endorsed candidate and someone who crossed swords with Trump. Um, McKinley was the uh, West Virginia lost population. They had a merger. Two districts became one. Uh, McKinley was an incumbent. Mooney was an incumbent. Uh, an incumbent. They had a Republican primary. Now, in the new district, um, 66% was McKinley's, and only about 34% was Mooney's. So that led me to believe that McKinley had a little bit of an upper hand in that 66% of the new district were familiar and had voted for him as a member of Congress. McKinley did one thing that was so interesting to me. He didn't vote to impeach, but he voted to establish the January 6th commission. The Adam Kinzinger um, Liz Cheney commission is how a lot of Republicans refer to it as. Um, they had a race last Tuesday in West Virginia. McKinley got 36% of the vote. Mooney, with the Trump endorsement, got 54% of the vote. That was an eye-opener to me. I mean, that was a revelation in, uh, in, in what I think is going to happen in the 7th Congressional District. So you got J.D. Vance. Once again, you got, you got 40 elections that Trump's endorsed. Um, he lost the Nebraska gubernatorial race, or I say he did. Um, Charles Herbster did, but Herbster had some uh, allegations of groping women and all these other sorts of things. But he still only lost thirty-three to thirty percent. So, so with the Nebraska gubernatorial race, with the West Virginia House race, with the Ohio Senate race, a um, couple of others, it, it kind of leads me down this road. And there are no statistical sure things. But, but this is my guesstimate as we sit, what, a month out from our primary. It looks to me like if you cross swords with Trump, and, and I don't mean like Lindsey Graham. I don't mean with him a little bit, not with him a little bit. I mean when you take a vote 
like McKinley did in West Virginia to establish the January 6th commission and you're running against a Trump-endorsed candidate, it's bad news. I mean, it's just bad news. Now, now West Virginia is very Trumpy. Uh, Trump is probably as popular in West Virginia as he is any state in America. But the 7th Congressional District is a little bit like West Virginia. Trump's approval ratings in West Virginia with Republican primary voters is somewhere in the upper 80s. In Horry County, which is the dominant uh, voting block of the 7th Congressional District, it's somewhere in the mid-80s. So there are a lot of similar characteristics and traits about this district and the state of West Virginia and that consolidated district that they had to merge because of a uh, you know losing population in West Virginia. But it looks to me, Mike, if you endorse Trump, you're going to get about 35% of the vote. 33 to 35 is almost a sure thing. If you go against Trump, and I'm talking about, uh, you know, a a vote to create the January 6th commission, a vote to impeach, obviously, it's a step further down the road of anti-Trump than anything. Uh, It looks to me like 35, 36 is the ceiling. And and that's that's why I'm arguing. Uh, I think it is very likely that Tom Rice, Congressman Rice, gets 33, 34, 35% of the vote. I think it is an unbelievably unlikely that it gets 50. But that's just kind of the way I see this race. And once again, I'm not paid by anybody. I'm not endorsing anybody. Uh, I have an obligation to our listeners to call it like we see it. That's the one thing we've been pretty good at since we went on the air uh, roughly 10 years ago. So when someone asks me to call it like I see it, here's what I see. I see Fry and Rice in a runoff. The reason I believe Fry and Rice are going to be in the runoff There is some proprietary information out there uh, in confidence. I'm not privileged to it. There's been a lot of polling done. I'm sure of that. But I have not seen one uh, legitimate poll. I've seen some some straw polls and some conventions and, you know, some things that I just don't put much faith in. But for Rice to go negative on Fry and Fry to go negative on Rice leads me to believe that they both campaigns have enough data that leads them down the road of this is going to be us two in it. Um, Richardson would argue, no, that's not the truth. Uh, Barbara Arthur would argue that's Garrett Barton. Mark, I mean, all those guys in the race would say, you know, I just don't buy that. We've got, you know, a straw poll. We've got an endorsement. We've got this. We've got that. We've got the other. It looks to me like as someone not privileged to the information that the Rice or Fry campaign have, it looks to me like the incumbent, the, I don't want to say the never Trumper, because I don't think Tom Rice is a never Trumper. I really don't. I think Liz Cheney's a never Trumper. I think Liz Cheney is a globalist. I think Liz Cheney is an anti-America first agenda. But I don't think Tom Rice is that. I think Rice took a very, very, very consequential vote. And I just don't know how you crawl out from under that vote. I don't know how you escape the realities of that vote. I'll give the man credit. He stood by his guns. I mean, he made a vote that he said was a principled uh, vote of consciousness. And he has not shied away from that at all. That's going to get him about 30% of the vote. So, so the point I'm making is it looks to me like Rice and Fry will be in the 30s or 30-ish, somewhere between 30 and 36 or 7 in the first round. We have the runoff, and it's just it seems to me that it's far more likely that Fry gets to 50% and not Rice. I mean, that's just my take on it. And once again, those are some things I know and some things I'm, I'm guessing on behalf of because I don't have any polling information because the campaigns are paying for the polling, and they'll leak the polling if they see fit. 
But when I see negative ads by rice against fry and fry against rice, it's just it's obvious to me that those two campaigns are convinced it's a two-man race and they're beginning to kind of hit one another. We call it dinging. You know they're going to ding you with this. You know they're going to ding you, ding you with that. But when I look at the West Virginia race, when I look at the Ohio race, it'll be very interesting to see what Oz does in Pennsylvania. The, the, the Emerson poll over the weekend has Oz at 32%. Why is that important? That seems to be the number in a crowded field with the Trump endorsement. Imagine 10 years ago, if I'd have sat on the radio and said, hey, there's going to be a day that President, former President Donald Trump endorses Dr. Oz as a Republican Senate candidate in, uh, in Pennsylvania. That, that, that would have been the end of this show. I mean, I don't know what, what law we would have broken, but it would prove how insane we are and how irresponsible we are. And the FCC would have said, there's some guy in Florence, South Carolina, saying that former President Donald Trump, I mean, that's crazy enough, is going to endorse Dr. Oz as the perennial frontrunner. And um, so Oz is at 32% in the weekend Emerson poll. Um, and there's kind of a consolidation now. Barnett went up six. Uh, McCormick went up seven. Oz went up nine. What does that mean? Fewer undecideds. The undecideds, began, they began deciding over the weekend, but they didn't break for one candidate. They kind of broke in equal. Uh, to McCormick, to uh, uh, Bartlett, you know, uh, is it Bartlett, Kathy Barnett, uh, the African-American female, and then Dr. Oz kind of, you know, rose from 24, 25 to 32. And um, so so there, that, that's kind of my take on it. I think it's, it's more likely than not that we have a runoff between Russell Fry, the Trump-endorsed candidate, and the incumbent Congressman Tom Rice, who voted to impeach President Trump. I just think it's far more likely. I think it's far, 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 far more likely from what I've seen in these other races and what I believe to be true in the 7th Congressional District that Fry gets to 50% a whole lot easier and a whole lot quicker than Congressman Rice does. So that's kind of, um, that's the way I see it. And, and I would argue there's some statistical analysis involved in that, that there's some instinctive things, but but it's the majority of collaborating what we've seen happen in all these other places. And and unless this is a total outlier, it's, it's not an antiseptic event. I mean, the people in the 7th Congressional District feel about Trump like they do in most Republican primaries, especially in West Virginia and Ohio. 843-661-0937 is the number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Who is this? Hey in, yeah, Yes, sir. Uh, uh, this is, uh, I, I tell you, I think your analysis is spot on, Ken. And uh, I don't, I've never said anything about it, but uh, your moderation of that debate was about as good as anyone could have done. And uh, I thought that was excellent. But uh, they, we're in crazy town as far as the way things are unfolding right now. And I, I for the life of me, I can't figure out why, what in the world uh, the Ukrainians are going to do with $40 billion worth of weapons all at once. I mean, that that just makes no sense to me. Uh, my understanding is that uh, the, that the, that Putin only spent about uh, $60 billion a year on uh, his entire army, and uh, that that's just beyond belief. But uh, the, this situation down there with Ryan Rice, uh, your analysis on that is just right on. 
But the baby formula thing, I think to some extent that is a manufactured uh, a manufactured disaster. Uh, but it's a very serious problem for those that need special baby formula. My youngest son had to have, uh, this is uh, 30 plus years ago, but uh, he uh, he required a special formula and that stuff cost uh, back then $400 a month and it was hard to get. And uh, he just couldn't uh, take the normal formula. There's a uh, most healthy children. They can take the mother's milk, or uh, you can make up formula with condensed milk or cow's milk and uh, prepare it. Uh, and goat's milk works even better. But there are infants out there that require spe- that have special requirements, and uh, they are at risk if they do not get that nutrition. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. And I think that's where Jim is. Um, for whatever reason, and I am certainly not qualified to, to give an opinion here, but for whatever reason, um, some babies could drink breast milk or, uh, whatever comes their way. It may be allergies. I don't have any idea what, what the problems are, what the realities are. Uh, and I have no idea what the percentages are. You know, is there a, um, is it 1% or 10% of, of babies who have to have a certain brand or make or form a formula. What are the ingredients in the formula that they need or don't need or allergic to or not alert? I can't begin to tell you that. I do find it interesting that the FDA, in its infinite wisdom, uh, once 1980 gets here, they decide they need an infant, you know, some kind of task force to monitor and police how baby formula is made. And, uh, you know, if they're doing their job, then, then why does Abbott Labs have a problem? I mean, if, you know, if the FDA is on it and FDA is on the case and they're kind of monitoring as we as we progress, then why are we all of a sudden in such a um, in such a state of disarray? Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Reverend Dave Baker is uh, out of the office as we speak. He actually had to ride over to Orangeburg. We've got some situations over there that need his attention. He'll be back with us bright and early in the morning. He was with us the first couple of hours of today's show, but had to leave a little early to meet someone over there to take care of some issues that we have in our Orangeburg station. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Who is this and where are you calling from? Yeah, good morning, Kenneth. David, how you doing, man? David, how are you? I tell you what, I I am embracing this politics. I actually watched this for Connor's show the other morning. Because I was trying to get some insight on this Pennsylvania Senate race, and I, I watched it because, you know, Smokanish has the Philly skyline as his backdrop. And I call him the Philly suburb, Bucks County, ex all inspector Republican who has become independent. Uh, but, you know, your man, Robert Cahaley, was on that show the other day. Mm-hmm. And he had the Greenville backdrop. Uh, so maybe he was in greenville on saturday but one thing i learned from kahala he did say something about dr oz he said dr oz has got the crossover appeal so i thought that was kind of interesting and unfortunately yesterday i watched uh, meet the press and i saw al sharpton and what i might take away is that he talks about abortion in their minds that's taking away female freedom 
Then he talked about, I guess, the LGBTQ at all rights, you know, where you have the second graders are being, you know, shown gender, um, whatever you want to call that, the gender studies. But he links it to state rights. And see, that's where he's going to get you on this, because now you take what happened in Buffalo, that's the white supremacist. So when you start talking about states' rights, now you're back in pre-Civil War days. So they're going to link Charlottesville January 6th to that ultra MAGA, whatever you want to call that. They're going to use that Putin price hike. They're going to talk about guns. They're going to talk about climate change. Uh, so unfortunately, we have what I call the radical left. We've got the Davos Democrat. We've got this nut job up there in Buffalo. I call him the virtual and secular guy who doesn't read the Bible about thou shalt not kill. But they're trying to get that traditional Democrat. We're talking about the females, the LGBTQ, whatever you want to call that, and they're going to scare the black folks half to death. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, David. Appreciate that. Well, there's a lot to this MAGA. I mean, MAGA is not an innocent term. I mean, MAGA is uh, unbelievably intentional. And, and we've historically here at Wake Up Carolina have identified the movement as the America First movement. Um, the, the, the MAGA crowd, the, the, the MAGA king, the ultra uh, MAGA, the extreme MAGA, all of these words, uh, guys, politicians don't do much without polling, especially somebody as experienced and established uh, as, as, you know, Joe Biden. I mean, Biden's been around the block a hundred times and back. Um, I mean, obviously he's a shadow of his former self and he's a man in desperate cognitive decline, but he's still, I mean, his handlers, the people who give him advice still react and respond to what the polls say. And the polls tell, um, them that independents are a little bit more suspicious of MAGA than they are America first, the Seinfeld watching crowd. Those who aren't listening to talk radio this morning, those who don't have any idea you know what's happening in Pennsylvania. They could care less about Dr. Oz or Kelly Barnett or David McCormick. They 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 just they're not into it. It's not something they spend much of their time concerned with. But if you take those people watching Seinfeld and those people not, the ones watching Seinfeld outnumber significantly. I'll give you an example. Tucker Carlson's got about three million nightly viewers. American Idol has what, ten or fifteen million? Uh, there, there are far more people watching American Idol than there are Tucker Carlson, and they're trying to appeal to those people who just don't pay real close attention, and they've got a lot of polling data that says MAGA kind of scares people. It doesn't freak people out, but the use of MAGA is far more beneficial to Democrats than the America Firsters. America Firsters are, you know, who wouldn't be for America First? But that MAGA crowd, a little bit more intense, a little bit more extreme, uh, a little bit more motivated to get their way no matter what they've got to do. That's the insinuation. It's unspoken, um, but but, but it's, 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 they're not going to say, hey, the reason we've shifted to MAGA is because our polling shows that independents are a little bit more leery of being associated or affiliated with the MAGA movement. A lot of independents have embraced America first. When you look at the J.D. Vance campaign, I think Dr. Oz, uh, David touched on uh, Robert in Greenville uh, talking about Dr. Oz. Uh, I believe that from the beginning. And I think Trump's endorsement was largely on, you know, he's the most appealing to the independents. He's got a large uh, viewership. Uh, I, I said, I think last week or the week before, don't have any idea why this is the case. But Oz's show was more popular in Pennsylvania than most places. Once again, I don't have any idea. 
Pennsylvania is probably the one state that embodies America in general. In other words, it's got urban, it's got rural, it's got real conservative, it's got real liberal, it's got African-American, it's got white vote. I mean, if you, if you said, hey, what one state depicts America within its state borders, it would probably be Pennsylvania. I mean, it wouldn't be South Carolina. It wouldn't be New York. It wouldn't be California. It wouldn't be Georgia. Um, Pennsylvania is probably the one state that, that reflects or resembles America in its totality, and it's going to be a very interesting election. Um, for those just joining us, uh, Emerson did a poll over the weekend that showed Oz moving up from 23 to 32, um, Barnett moving up from 21 to 27, McCormick moving up 19 to 26. So you would say, why the big move? Well, that's the undecideds breaking. The last weekend is when undecideds really begin breaking, and they'll answer a pollster, you know, with what they are going to do or are not. Now, now Trafalgar had a poll a week ago that said Oz at 25, Barnett at 23, McCormick at 22, margin of error, uh, 2.9%. So in the the Emerson poll, the Fox poll, and the Trafalgar poll, all are within the margin of error except the Emerson poll, which has a margin of error of 3% or three, yeah, margin of error of 3%, had a thousand likely voters polled and, um, and has Oz up three points, excuse me, Oz up five points over Barnett, six points uh, over McCormick. Now, I don't know how reliable the Emerson poll is. And I've had a lot of folks ask me, why are you so concerned with Pennsylvania? Well, I'm, once again, I think Pennsylvania reflects America. I think what, what, what plays in Pennsylvania plays nationwide um, ohio to some degree would be similar to america in general but i think pennsylvania is probably a little more uh what did trump win ohio by plus eight if i'm not mistaken trump won ohio by eight percentage points philadelphia's off excuse me pennsylvania's always up for grabs so not only is the oz barnett mccormick primary interesting to me as a republican uh former politician i, I want to see what the what the rank-and-file Pennsylvanian believes because that's going to represent, by and large, what the rank-and-file American believe. I'll tell you something I'm very interested in. Um, I'm very interested in what turnout numbers are. What are the turnout totals of Republicans in Pennsylvania tomorrow um, in opposition or opposed to or, or in comparison to what the turnout numbers in the Democrat Party are in Pennsylvania? That, that'll be very interesting. That, that'll deal with enthusiasm is there an, is is the enthusiasm gap closed any? Has it gotten bigger? Um, Biden is chi- changing strategy. He's not trying to be a, um, uh, a you know a person who's reconciling America's differences. I mean, he's a he's a politician that is preying upon our emotions, which is what most politicians do. So I'm not uh, that bothered nor offended by that. Except he said, you know, we've got to break away from this divisive president we got to break away from a president who calls people names and pits people against one another and then biden gets there and does exactly the same thing uh not as effectively as trump but but does exactly the same thing he calls people's name um you know maga king i mean that's dog whistle for racist um ultra maga there's another dog whistle for you know racist and extreme and you know th- those hard-headed well, i mean it's really the country bumpkins the hayseeds the hillbillies are clinging to gods and guns. That that's I mean Obama said it far more eloquently than than Biden, but Obama was an eloquent transformational guy. Uh Biden is not. Biden at his best day or on his best day was a dunce. 
I mean, he's, he's, he was a, a lifelong politician. I mean, he would argue public service, but our public servant. But, I mean, Biden's never been mistaken for the guy that's going to get the party of the promised land. He was the, the choice by default. Stay in the basement. Don't run your mouth. Um, we'll do some things and hope Trump reacts. And Trump did. Trump kind of played into the hands of, um, of some of the, um, I don't know, some of the bait the Democrats threw out there. But Pennsylvania is going to be a big deal because Pennsylvania looks most like America. And I'm so interested in what the turnout numbers are, how motivated the Republicans are, how motivated the Democrats are, what is the uh, enthusiasm gap in Pennsylvania, because the enthusiasm gap in Pennsylvania is going to reflect or resemble what the enthusiasm gap in America is going to be. And um, I think Oz wins it. I mean, I really do. I think Oz wins it would probably... 33 34 i think it's similar to jd vance i think vance got 32.2 percent of the vote but he won by 10 percentage points you know when someone says he only got 32 percent of the vote yeah but his nearest competitor got 22 percent of the vote he won that race by nearly 10 percentage points and i think there were three four legitimate candidates a couple of throwaway or marginal candidates in this race you've got oz you got barnett you got mccormick um I think if there's going to be a surprise tomorrow in Pennsylvania, it could be McCormick. I think Barnett has convinced some people, whoa, I mean, some of this is a little bit crazier than I want to be a part of. And McCormick is a sweater vest wearing former Goldman Sachs executive who worked for the Bush administration, went to West Point, got his doctorate from Princeton. Um, if there's a box, there's a check in the resume of David McCormick. Um, and if, um, if Oz, if Oz appears to be too odd, that's a weird word. Oz is too odd. In other words, if, if the voter gets to the poll tomorrow and says, man, I, I don't know that I can do this. I mean, there's too many things I don't know about this guy. Barnett is even, uh, more controversial than Oz. I don't think Oz is controversial, but he's unknown. He's a political, um, he's just kind of an open, excuse me. So he's a book we've never looked into. And I think $30 million worth of negative ads to try to tell you one thing that he is, uh, the voters of Pennsylvania aren't buying that. But I think when you, when you leave Oz and you go to Barnett, if, if you're uncomfortable voting for Oz, because there are too many questions, you're certainly not going to vote for Barnett. So if there's anybody that could surprise on election day in, in Pennsylvania, it could be McCormick. Uh, McCormick is the most establishment candidate by far in this field. Um, but, but he could be the guy that catches a break because Oz and McCormick appear to be not too extreme, but, but too out of the norm. Just too, Hey, we don't know much about Oz's politics and these things Barnett has tweeted and said in days gone. Nobody paid Barnett any attention. Nobody cared what she tweeted. Nobody cared what she said because she was polling six, seven, eight percent. But something happened, and and she began to gain momentum. And when she began to gain that momentum, somebody did some op research and said, did you see what she tweeted? Did you see what she said? Did you see what she wrote? Um, that's when you know she's legitimate. I mean, they don't pay you any attention if you're polling at 7 or 8%. They don't give a damn what you did or said if you're at 7 or 8%. But if you start becoming, you know, a legitimate bona fide candidate at 16 17 18 percent they start uh in, in rapid fire fashion uh digging through your world finding out things you may have said or done 
that that could lead voters to be concerned about casting a ballot for someone they just don't know a lot about. 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Uh, The Buffalo shootout, the Buffalo killer, the Buffalo um, situation. Uh, I, I want us to remember and remind ourselves that there will always be political prostitutes, both on the right and the left. Uh, I'm bothered more by the ones on the left because they uh, appear to be doing it more aggressively than those on the right. But I would naturally feel that way because I'm on the right of the political spectrum. Um, But please understand that this is more about humanity and and more about it's it's far less about politics than it is uh, a myriad of other things, whether it's mental illness, whether it's racism, whether it's violence perpetrated against our fellow man, there will always be, and and really in, in the weirdest way, it's the it's the ultimate it's the ultimate insult to politics when politicians decide to make issues like there are some things in our lives that require us to be political. I mean, the people in Pennsylvania are going to vote tomorrow for someone to be their senator. That is political. There is no doubt about that. Joe Biden is going to Buffalo today, along with Jill Biden, to basically, um, we would love to believe they're going there to comfort a nation, to pay their respects to those innocent people who lost their lives. But, But stop it. They're going there to try and make a situation political. They're going to try to convince you that the reason these things happen is because the gun-owning, you know, MAGA extremists and ultra-MAGA uh, follow the MAGA king. I mean, that's that's what the, the narrative is going to be. And Joe said earlier, they'll make it about gun control. They will. That There's no doubt the left always makes these circumstances and situations about gun control. But I'm making a prediction that it will be more about MAGA than it is even gun control. It'll be about the the racist undercurrents of MAGA, um, the the extremism embedded in MAGA. Uh, the country can't afford to take a risk with this group of people. It'll be very insulting to people who call themselves America Firsters because that's not what you're going to be referred to as any longer. I mean, the reason that guy walked in to a grocery store and killed innocent African Americans and Jewish people is because... Donald Trump got elected president. Tucker Carlson has an eight o'clock show and talk radio is even allowed to exist. I mean, that's going to be the overriding sentiment narrative, uh, but we just can't buy into that. Don't give into that. Don't be bothered by that. Um, continue to pray for those families and pray uh, for, for the situation at hand. It's not political. It's horrific. It's murder. It's tragic, but it's not political. 843-661-0937. Hey, programming note real quick. Because Dave's not here and Mike's doing about three or four different things over there, we're going to delay, not postpone. We're going to delay our Takes Mondays to Make Fridays trivia, courtesy of our good friends at Pepsi, until tomorrow. So the Takes Mondays to Make Fridays trivia will, can I make an executive decision here? It becomes Takes Tuesdays to Make Fridays trivia. The Royal Rev, uh, Royal Rev of Radio had to make his way to Orangeburg today. He'll be back tomorrow, and we'll get back to normal. But, um, yeah, today's Takes Monday to Make Friday's Trivia is going to be tomorrow's Takes Tuesday to Make Friday's Trivia, brought to you by our good friends at Pepsi 
of Florence. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. 